Moralia Python Radio with your hosts, Eric Burke and Owen McIntyre. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Moralia Python Radio. Tonight, we are stepping outside of the box, way outside of the box. Way outside. These things have legs. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. We are talking (laughs) monitors, uh, and uh, Brian Waterloo is going to be joining us. And I must admit, this is a subject that I am not um, very well versed on. So I'll be learning just like you guys are learning. Uh, as we go through, so uh, I yeah. they they are a cool reptile though, man. Definitely aren't cool, they? Cool. And it's and it, it, it kind of gets back into my the little part of my brain that's like dinosaurs are awesome because that's what <laughs> these things pretty much are. Is like mm-hmm. it's a dinosaur. That's all it is. It's just a smaller one. So and probably the closest you can get to that would be the croc monitors, the the blue tails, the the lace monitor, which Brian's got interaction uh, with all this, but going through Brian's collection, getting ready for the show, he has like blue tree monitors and gray monitors and stuff like that. Stuff, some stuff I'd never freaking heard of before. So it's going to huh. be an interesting show. And I'm hoping by the end of it, you'll be like itching for like, I don't know, a 12 foot water monitor or something to be up in the, nah. you know, live in this room with you and Dory. It'd be fine. <laughs> so I, I mean, I have, I have kept monitors. I've had Savannah monitors and Nile monitors, your typical monitors, but like never in yeah. a million years did I ever think about breeding them. Um, I don't even think, honestly, I kept them right, but for some reason yeah. they, they, like, I know for sure that I wasn't giving them the, uh, the heat that they needed. But back then, yeah. I don't know, man, I mean, you bought a, you bought a, a monitor at Martin's Aquarium, and you know you put it in an aquarium, and you put a light. It was on done. Top. Yeah, <laughs> it was it. You know? Heat lamp. There you go, buddy. It's it's funny <laughs> because talking with talking with Brian and talking with Andrew, it, it's like seeing all the all the people that they deal with. The people who want to get into monitors who either don't take what they have to do seriously. Or don't do it and think that they can have success. I mean, the just the sheer size of the enclosure that these animals need is is daunting. I would have maybe two in my snake room downstairs, and and, and even then I'd feel a little weird about it. So it's yeah, I rem- it, you know, I rem- and everybody else is good. I was going to say I remember when we went to go see. Um, um, site B or Andrew's yeah, uh, yeah. monitor collection. And like, literally yeah. uh, I could have stayed in, in the cage, uh, it would be a, in a cage. I mean, it was, a, yeah. it was like, it was like the size of a tent that I would sleep in if I was going into, uh, you know, uh, yeah. I, yeah. When I go to Australia or something like that. And ouch, you know, ouch. you got to stop at that. You got to like, you know, it's getting a, a digs in every show is really going to get annoying. I yeah. won't miss you, but anyway, <laughs> um, it's, it's just a funny thing. And those, and those monitors that Andrew has, they don't climb like the ones that Brian has. So it's like his even have to be taller. So it, they, we'll get, we'll get into all that stuff and we'll talk to him oh, about wow. how he sets up his so these are like and stuff like that. These are like considered arboreal monitors or is it just like they, well, they have they can climb, and actually, it's really cool because we'll get into um, how Brian builds like actual like stone outcroppings for these guys to climb on and bask on uh, with like foam and cement or uh, foam and concrete and stuff like wow. that, which is 
pretty bad. And apparently he had Brian had Bowens before, and he did stuff like that too. So we'll get into that when we get him on as well. Now yeah. you're talking my language. There you go. <laughs> I knew I'd get you. So uh, yeah. So. Cool. Well, <clears throat> um, let's see. We do have some news to hit on before we uh, before Brian, Brian hasn't called in yet. Let me just make sure. Uh, nope. he'll, yeah, I, okay. t- I told him to call him in at like uh, ten minutes, fifteen minutes, because I figure we had news of the week and stuff like that. So. Right. So I guess the most pressing uh, thing to hit on first would be uh, for the Carpet Fest info. Um, I'm going to throw out the dates uh, for the other uh, Southern Carpet Fest and Southwest Carpet Fest. So Southern Carpet Fest is May 5th and 6th. It's in Terrell, Texas. It's at Ryan Sullivan's house, a.k.a. Ivorymon King. Um, And... Uh, let's see. Southwest Carpet Fest is April 28th and 29th, uh, and that's in Vista, California. Um, I'll make sure in the show notes that we have links to the T-shirts, uh, which I ordered mine today, but I still didn't order our T-shirt. But uh, no worries. <laughs> <laughs> um, we got time. It's okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to throw this out there for Evan, too. I guess he's looking for some uh, – I don't miss these days um, – He's looking for some help uh, to help clean up uh, before Carpet Fest, the Saturday before Carpet Fest. Um, Mm. So I guess reach out to Evan Browder if you're interested in helping him. Um, And they do have their T-shirts available. So there you go. And the auction for the Southern – oh, man, I can't keep track of these anymore. The Southwest Carpet Fest is live. So you can visit on their Facebook page. Uh, they have a Facebook uh, group page, um, and they have a pretty badass shirt. So go over there and check that out, which leads us to our Carpet Fest, which is June 9th, and that is in Warminster, PA. Uh, we're not going to do our auction till after these two Carpet Fests are finished. Uh, that right. way we're not stepping on anybody's toes. Um, but their T-shirts for us is live, and Jeff Frederick – from um, the uh, hands of hands by hands of Jeff Frederick, yeah, yeah. Is, that's, Did yeah. I get that right? Oh man, I hope I got. I that think right. so. <laughs> yeah. He'll anyway, he's done. We screwed <laughs> that up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I hate to, to to screw up the name of the guy that did the. Design. We do it all the but time. But anyway, anyway, <laughs> yeah, he. Uh, he he did the design for us again this year, which is uh, it's pretty awesome, um, and. Uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's a it's a Brisbane carpet, uh, which is uh, which yay. Is pretty, I think it is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just pretty sweet. Um, but uh, but yeah, check it out. Get yourself a shirt. Plenty of time. We'll have it ready for uh, uh, you know the actual carpet fest. So that's why we did it so early. Right. Cool. Yeah. Yes, we 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 have it so that it will end. Uh, in May, and that everyone will have their shirts so they can wear them all to Carpet Fest, so Eric can finally have that group picture that he constantly is annoying me about, where everyone will be together wearing their goddamn shirts. Okay. I'm sorry, I would need to get that off my chest, but... Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, we'll we'll do it that way, this way, How do you really arrive feel? on time. Heard me, Mr. <laughs> Australia. Anyway, um, but yeah. it, it's We'll get that done, and obviously after everybody else's Carpet Fest have folded up, um, we'll get our auction going. So look out for 
information about that. We're actually going to try to do, you and I have to have our meeting with if we're going to try to do the live stream of the auction at Northeast Carpet Fest this year or not. So, uh, which I think we could. We'll we're just going to need somebody to help us. You know, that's all. Sweet. I think so if you want to help us, let us know. I'm looking at you, Crystal Emmy. Um, so, or Rob Stone, <laughs> you guys are guys going to be there anyway. I know you will yeah. be. So, yeah. It's a true story. Um, so, okay. What else do we got going on? So, uh, let's see. Um, so, <laughs> breeding season update. Uh, I'm, I'm on clutch. Shut 11. up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, I got happy with my one clutch, although my jungle clutch actually looks like it's going a little bit downhill. Um, they're denting oh, no. in already and it's like, ah, God damn it. So it's don't worry, dude, I'm, where... I'll be wholesaling yep. the shit out of my stuff to you. <laughs> 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 all right all right <laughs> i don't even know why i'm trying anymore it's like okay cool so um we'll we'll do that but i'm also waiting on a couple other clutches and it's like i got all these carpet clutches that are potentially coming but i i keep watching the woma because she looks gravid as hell and i'm like mm-hmm. oh god you know i might get i might get woma I, like that would be awesome so i'm just kind of just just going for that one so yeah, today I got a clutch. Uh, so yes, was it yesterday? The other day, maybe it was Sunday. I got a clutch of red tigers. I finally nice. <laughs> I've had these things since 2009, and uh, <laughs> I finally uh, got around to pairing them together. Um, so yeah, I, I will have uh, red tigers, uh, and these are. I, I hate calling red tigers because this is where it gets confusing. It's not like the MBB red. It's the other red. It's the first red. It's, yeah, I got yeah. you. Yeah. It's not like the um, killer screamer red. But <clears throat> I think uh, Star Python's posted up a picture of one of Jason's um, tigers from the clutch from the same lineage, I believe. It's from the same yes. clutch, I believe, right? It's, yeah. it's from the same lineage. Because Freaking what happens is, is that what Jason did is after he got his first initial red tigers in 2007, he kind of kept breeding red and tiger and kind of working on it. And then yeah. this past year, he had a really, really good clutch of kind of like uh, uh, almost stripes from the head down to the tail. And I actually went and picked up a baby boy from this clutch because it was just too damn good. So yeah. that's where you can see where it's going. Um so a little bit of news I just got uh, sent over to me. Um, you know Hamburg Reptile Show is June 9th? Yeah, I know. Well, I guess I'm not vending. <laughs> so it's like, I don't really but, care about uh, Hamburg Reptile Show, but, to be but, honest with you. But, but, but it's something that I think I can do in the morning before the uh, before uh, uh, Carpet Fest. So if anybody wants to run up to Hamburg with me before Carpet Fest, that'd be fun. So, Yeah. Yeah, I'll leave you, you to do, do the that. setup. We'll talk about this later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, pal. Um, You're welcome. <laughs> no, I mean I don't I don't vend at Hamburg and yeah, I don't follow it Hamburg. Matter. So like, it does, I was it. waiting for for the guys that do to tell me when I put it out there like three months ago. Oh yeah, like, it's probably my hey, job. I should have done that. But <laughs> you, no, I put it in the freaking group. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Group. I wasn't hey paying guys. attention. Just hey let guys. it go. <laughs> How about June hey, 9th? Hey, 
hey, hey, hey. Hey, excellent. Easy. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, whatever. I don't care. So, but hey, we'll see. If if you're vending Hamburg and you want to swing by afterwards, cool. So, awesome. Yeah, that's cool. I guess I guess that would be uh, something that people could uh, go to check out if they never checked it out and they were interested in, uh, you know, seeing what that's about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? If you're I in the area. Means, I guess that means that. You and Matt that aren't vending, right? Or maybe Matt will. Well, yeah, Matt. Know. No, I don't think Matt will. I think Matt says he can select. So, but uh, I know there are some other guys who do vend Hamburg who, you know, we'll, we can always work it around and you guys can swing by Carpet Fest afterwards and stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah. We'll figure it out. Yep. No worries. Uh, what else? Anything else you want to hit on? No, nah, I'm good. I got nothing. So yeah, I, th- I think uh, over here you're you're drowning in eggs, and I got nothing. So you know that's how it works. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Today I got a, it was a small clutch. It was uh, from yes. a Jaghead Exanic to an Exanic Zebra. Um, it was like six eggs, I think, six eggs and one slug. So nice. she was the first time, um, first time, uh, you know, her first season producing. So we'll see. Hopefully I get an Xanax Zebra Jag out of it. That's kind of the... That would be cool. <laughs> yeah. So That would be cool. Uh, yeah, that's all I got. So I think uh, Brian is here on the line. Let me just verify that number you gave me. And that okay. is correct. All right, here we go. Cool. All right. Hey, <clears throat> hey Brian, welcome to Morelia Python Radio. Uh, glad to have you. How you doing? Hey, guys. Hi. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So we definitely want to just kind of pick your brain on when it comes to, you know, monitors, because I've only ever dabbled with, you know, Andrew stuff and Eric has no monitors. So, yeah. No. Why not? <laughs> no worries. Yeah. Okay. So, so Eric, oh. I'm, I'm, I'm used to starting. I don't know why the hell I'm talking. Just go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> It's not. It's, a, it's not like you did the outline or anything, Owen. But no worries. Uh, <laughs> all right. So, uh, Brian, can you tell us how you got your start in reptiles? We'll start there, as we always start, just so we know your your story. Uh, probably like I guess every other reptile guy out there. Dinosaurs, you know, like third grade, fourth grade, you start learning the bottom. But I remember uh, probably the biggest influence to it was. Uh, this Charles Knight poster or picture that was in the the field museum. Luckily I'm outside of Chicago and you know, we got the field museum out here, Brookfield zoo, Lincoln park zoo, shed aquarium. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, real good natural history. And it, it was a, a Charles Knight painting and it's the famous, you know, triceratops against the T-Rex. And it always, I don't know, kind of, drew me into, you know, dinosaurs and how cool they are. And then, you know, the natural progression would obviously be in the, you know, reptiles and, you know, watching like old B movies after school. And, you know, they'd have like, you know, cyclor, <laughs> uh, you know, like grind iguanas and like water uh-huh. with like, you know, fake spikes fighting and, you know, <laughs> it just kind of natural progression, I guess. And then, uh, you know, as a kid, I was fortunate enough to, you know, 
live on a farm for a little bit. And I remember catching, you know, snakes and frogs and stuff in the backyard. And then as I got older, um, living um, just outside of Chicago, there was a lot of forest reserves around my house and, you know, a lot of bike trails and all that. So I got to really spend a lot of time, you know, near water and, you know, near these creeks and rivers and just same thing, you know, catching a lot of turtles, snakes, frogs, all kinds of stuff. So um, I guess it was just being able to, you know, be outside and being around nature, which kind of really got me, you know, in that direction. And then, um, you know, as time went on, just, you know, having more of a fascination with it. And then, uh, like I said, the zoos were real influential. I mean, Brookfield Zoo was not that far from where I lived. And at the time, they had a really just stellar reptile collection. It was amazing. And, you know, I was drawn to it. And every Tuesday, it was free to get in there. So I was, every Tuesday, I was at the zoo and right at the reptile house. Yeah, just... You know, checking it out and taking it all in. Cool. Cool. So <clears throat> was it monitors that you started with, or did you progress into monitors? Did you keep other reptiles? or? Uh, my first, first thing I wanted was a Nile monitor. And back in the day, there was uh, it's called Trading Times. It was a newspaper. Yeah, I remember a friend that. of mine, who I, yeah, I still <laughs> talk to this day, had an ad for Nile, and I wanted to buy it, and he ended up talking me into buying a red-tailed boa. And I ended up that's buying a far boa off. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty and big jump. Yeah. <laughs> I ended up, uh, you know, liking the boa. I'm like, hey, this is great, and, you know, but, you know, the Nile, I had these old animal cards or like index cards that you could buy from like channel or whatever. And, you know, it would have like a picture of the animal on the front and then on the back it'd show where it came from, you know, like a little natural history on them. And I had this Nile monitor card. I'm like, I have to get one of these. And I don't like a year later, I ended up acquiring a Nile and, you know, that was it. The monitors were everything that I'm like, you know, screw the snakes. I want to work with the monitors. I want to work with the monitors. Right. So, <clears throat> okay. So, can you give us like an overview of your collection, uh, where you're at now? Uh, currently, I have, uh, let's see, 1.2 uh, adult lace monitors. The male is a Bell's, Bell's face. So, he's black and yellow bandit. And then the two females are just regular, you know, your typical lace. However, uh, they're probably a mix of like the southern and the northern. So that's three. And then I have two hatchlings from last year. And then I got another 1.2 from the year before. And then I have uh, three ornate Niles or just regular ornate or forest Niles, I guess, or forest monitors, you want to call them. And then a lone West African Nile monitor just regular common Nile. And then uh, Andrew has hmm. uh, my Mertens monitors. Well, actually one of them because he's keeping the other. And then uh, some Cyclera over by a friend of his that's pretty much a done deal. And then 
about it for now. Um, I'm actually in the process of redesigning my, uh, I got a, an out, a pole barn or, you know, an exterior building on my property and that is being worked on this whole spring slash summer. And once that is complete, then I will be uh, probably getting into uh, <laughs> a couple more monitor species and then uh, some pythons that I've kind of put on hold for a while and some colubrids or colubrids or however one likes to call them. <laughs> hey, hey, don't, don't, don't go by Owen's sediments, all right? Shut up. <laughs> so, you know, do the normal thing and we'll all move on with our lives. So, yeah. Uh, you know. But that's, that's, that's awesome. I mean, I saw your barn when I was out there, and I would be a kid in a candy store with that much space, which is unfortunate because I'd fill it up real fast. So oh, yeah. I imagine you'll probably do the same. Yeah, that's the plan. Um, I actually have uh, some kind of grandiose ideas on how I want to do, uh, <laughs> I guess, some of these enclosures and, you know, water features and all that. So um, it'll definitely be uh, – it take some time, but, you know, I'm kind of uh, a little bit of a perfectionist and a stickler for details. So, <laughs> you know, that's fine with me. It takes me a little bit longer. Awesome. Um, so obviously the main thing in your collection right now are the laces. Um, can you kind of give us a little bit of a natural history on those guys, you know, uh, where they can be found and what's going on with them? Uh, basically lace are, you know, they're an Australian species only found in Australia and in particular, um, they're found on the East coast of Australia, basically, uh, as far north as like Townsville, Queensland, and then all the way down south into Sydney and Victoria, South Australia. Um, their range is, you know, is because Australia is huge. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a big range, but it's just pretty much restricted to that whole east coast or east side of it. And, um, you know, the, the Bells phase basically for the most part used to just kind of be centered right in New South Wales, which is kind of right in the middle of their, uh, their range. But over the years and over time, I guess they've, you know, the bells have been found and, you know, all the way up North and all the way down. You're not basically restricted to, you know, just that little area in New South Wales. Yeah. And then, you know, they're, they're a temperate species. So, um, Thankfully, they're, you know, inhabiting, you know, like when I was out there, um, I went up to, up the coast, Sunshine Coast, up in northern Queensland there almost, mm-hmm. and there was, uh, what was it, it wasn't Noosa, maybe it was Noosa, but it was real, just, you know, real tropical and, you know, rainforest everywhere, like, you know, you would imagine, and, um you know, seeing the lace out there, and then uh, other area I was staying at was just outside of Brisbane. The, uh, you know, same thing. I was at Crow's Nest, which is a natural park out there, and, you know, it's just woods and, you know, 
mountains and it's just it's beautiful. I mean, they're, Mm. encompass just all this different habitat. I mean, they're really not restricted to one or another, but because of their range, it's, you know, anything from tropical to semi-tropical to, you know, like a, almost like a savanna. But yeah, they're always found near trees, which is <laughs> definitely a big part of their life. Okay. But uh, they're, like I said, they're, they're temperate, so... You know, they do go through all four seasons. I remember when I was out there, it was uh, a little chilly in the mornings. And then, you know, by early early morning, early afternoon, it would warm up. And then, you know, it would be nice and warm and hot, you know, 1, 2, mm-hmm. 3 o'clock and same thing. But, yeah, it was uh, pretty chilly in the morning. So. <laughs> so they can take some pretty low temperatures that you wouldn't really expect at a, say, like, an African species? Yeah, but they're also um, not as... I mean, I know that there's uh, a couple friends of mine have bred uh, Spencer's monitors, which are also Australian monitors, and they're Mm -hmm. found more out in the deserts and the Barkley Tablelands and, you know, little Western Australia. And I know when they cool them down, they get down to like the fifties. So, um, yeah, I think that they could take it. I've never gotten them that cool. Um, but I wouldn't recommend it for (laughs) extent amount of time, but, (laughs) um, I think they're a little hardier and I think they could, you know, manage, you know, a couple instances here and there of it, but, you know, um, well, that's cool. Like, uh, it's kind of funny because you're talking about, uh, the monitors from different areas. You're talking about Spencer's from table and that's bread lie, you know, area and bread lie need to be cooled down to the fifties to breed or close to. So it's kind of like all these lizards have a snake counterpart that kind of acts the same way or close to. So that's cool. Um, sure. as far as the localities, and you said like the bells was located in kind of one area. Is it a specific locality or is it just a, morph that kind of bridges through all of them well originally the god the, the bells is still kind of an enigma with a lot of people um i know back in uh i think in the 80s horn george horn noted german herpetologist um basically he felt or maybe it was horn i think mm-hmm. i want to make sure um he believed that they're all, all bells are males. Okay. Know? And then, you know, they're only found in that one little area. I mean, I might be speaking on the line here. I'm trying to go off of memory, but um, for the most part, yeah, they were always kind of restricted to just one little area in New South Wales, but, you know, they, they're all over. And as far as what they are, as far as an anomaly, color, whatever, I always thought they were like maybe a natural occurring pied, and okay. talking to probably the authority on lace monitors is uh, my friend Dave Kirshner out in Australia. And, you know, I was picking his brain about it. And he's like, you know, they're just, they're a variety. He's like, it's like a, you know, a king snake that's, you know, like a cow king. It's chained or it's striped. And the bells is kind of, you know, following that, that line. But that being said, I mean, you've seen my male up close in that mm-hmm. hatchling, 
And, yeah. you know, they're definitely distinctly completely different than, you know, your regular ones. So I think yeah. there's still a little bit of work that needs to be done and figuring out exactly, you know, what it is. But um, is there like any idea how it's passed uh, genetically, the Bells? I mean, it's like I, I know you bred you bred a Bells phase male to two non-Bell phase female and you got baby bells as well as normals. Correct. Okay. Yeah, you're, you know, I remember when I first went down this avenue, I'm like, all right, well, because I got a bell and he's <laughs> the dominant and, you know, kind of putting that to my mindset, I'm like, you know, well, hell, I should crank out a whole bunch of bells when I breed them. And it's not the case. You know, you actually, uh, this last clutch that I had this last, uh, they started hatching in December. Um, probably the most bells I got out of one clutch, and it was only three. So oh, okay. Um, yeah. Um, supposedly over time, you know, there's two other gentlemen in the states that are breeding bells and or just breeding lace in general that both have bells, mm-hmm. and they're starting to produce more bells than normals. And you know, they're also a couple clutches ahead of me, so. You know, it's something that maybe over time you just start producing them. I know if you go bell to bell, you'll get 100% bells. But, you know, like my three offspring from the year before, um, mm-hmm. which ironically were my male was training breed with both females yesterday when they were 15 months old. Um, <laughs> I'm curious to see. More than likely, I, you know, I seriously doubt that I'll see a bell out of you know, either female and okay. yeah, that's the other theory is that, you know, if you breed a bell with a normal, you'll get a bell, a couple bells, bell to bell, you get all bells, but you'll never get two normals of breed. Even if they have bells lying in them to produce bells, you only produce normals. So okay. at that point, I don't know where, it, you know, does it become a heterozygous or COVID, you know, that terminology, I'm not sure. <laughs> okay. All right, but no, that 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 makes some sense. Kind of coming from our experience with Jags and other quote unquote co-dom or incomplete dominant kind of stuff. So, uh, but yeah, that um, now, and I know you mentioned before with uh, different localities of bells. Is there a large difference between them? Say, like by appearance, not not talking bells. We're just talking about the normal laces. Uh, for a while there, the, uh, the ones that are found in like Northern Australia. So that would be like basically the ones from like New South Wales up, um, generally have, uh, more spots like on their forearms, like their front legs and, you know, more of a spotter pattern. There's a little bit of banding, but not real heavy. And then Mm -hmm. when you start getting farther South, into like New South Wales and Victoria and around Sydney, um, the banding is a lot more prominent and there's very little spotting and, you know, the, the coloration is usually a little darker with a lot of the black and the blues and the whites and creams. So, you know, there's a variation, but um, the only problem is crazy. that, you know, yeah, because sometimes you'll, you'll see a picture of one. And you're like, all right, yeah. that's got to be from like, Victoria, and you're like, oh, it's from, you know, 
didgeridoo <laughs> Queensland. You're like, well, damn it. Way the hell north. It's down here. You know, we have guys who go into the bush all the time out in Australia, and they're like, look at this carpet python. I'm like, well, where the hell is that? And it's like, that's nowhere near coastal territory. It's like, what the hell is this mm-hmm. thing? Yeah, so yeah, that happens all the time. So, um, yeah. but that's, that, that, I can see that where it could kind of transition. Um, when it well, comes to... You said that too, though. I don't mean to cut you off. It's, no, no, go ahead. Yeah, you know, like, you know, majority of my hatchlings always, you know, they're either a bell or they end up looking like the females. And, you know, this last batch, you know, that, that one normal that you're holding, that thing, mm-hmm. you know, got more banding in it than I could count. And, you know, it, it just, it's like, all right, well, Where'd you this come is kind from? of different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, and it's also, we were going to kind of, uh, I also wanted to touch on that, where I know with you and I guess other Australian species kind of coming out of there is we're kind of taking it at the word of what we're getting. And we don't know what kind of locality mixes are in these guys, especially with like the founder animal carpet python. And same thing with you, with your lace monitors. I, I, I mean, do you really, can you really tell that you're not a mixing between Southern and Northern locality? And that's not kind of whipping around in there in your females. Well, Yes and no, because, okay. the, you know, like my females, I guess if you, you know, you looked at them and you looked at like one that's from way South Australia and one that's like, you know, from Northern Queensland and you blended them, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of what they look like because they, they have banding in them and they got yeah. spots and, you know, it's like a combination of both. But um, as far as, you know, that kind of, you know, locality data goes, I, I really haven't seen it to where it's like, you know, oh, this is definitely, you know, one from this area and one from that area because they just, you know, it's always been like, well, it's a lace. Grab it, yeah. In Brisbane, and then this one was caught in, you know, Genoa Lake and, you know, or Gippsland. I mean, yeah, there's, there's going to be differences within the localities, but, you know, it, it, like I said, it kind of, backfired on me a couple times where, like I said, I've seen something that I know was taken in the wild, and I'm like, all right, that's got to be from here, here, there. And it's like, no, mm-hmm. it's from here. And it's like, well, that doesn't make any sense. So, yeah, um, yeah I would think that um, maybe in some areas where they're kind of, you know, maybe if they're like at the extreme edges of their, you know, um, I guess, range, and, you know, maybe there's ones that are just found in one little area, and it's like, yeah, they always look like this. I mean, you know, the Nile monitors are just a nightmare when it comes to that because, you know, the the variety and the pattern is everywhere with them, you know, mm-hmm. from West Africa to East Africa to South Africa, and, you know, it's there seems to be some continuity with it where, you know, usually the West African Niles or, you know, you can kind of tell by looking at you like, yeah, it's West. And then mm-hmm. the East African ones, which come in, you know, every now and then, and, you know, are really just hard to come across. Like before they used to be somewhat, you know, regularly available and even the South Africans and, you know, between the three of them, there's a lot of distinct differences. And those, you know, if you see them, and you see a picture of them in the wild, 
you know, usually if you're like, yeah, that's got to be from, you know, like this part of East Africa, you're pretty much on target and you're right. And you're like, yeah, it's, you know, it's there. But with Give the lace, it. yeah, it's just a little, mm. you know, I've Harder. been thrown off too many times with it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't trust it anymore. Yeah. Um, so, and I know that a lot of people who potentially even have kept monitors, um, most of them who are listening, who are in the United States have never even had an interaction with a lace. So how does it compare to other monitors as far as like, I don't know, Temperament and keeping and stuff like that with like waters, croc monitors, Niles. Are they are they completely different thing all that are own? Uh, I would probably compare them to. Um, yeah, let's see. I mean, I I've had all. And <laughs> they're all kind of you know they're they're all kind of unique. I mean, obviously Niles are you know so aggressive and the meanest things in the world until you get to know them and realize that they're actually very intelligent and very easy to work with. If you give them, you know, a little bit of time to grow up. Um, right. But yeah, they're, you know, my lace are pretty easy going and pretty calm. Yeah. Um, I don't handle them. I don't, you know, I've raised them all up, you know, with the exception of the two females, you know, without really, ever forcibly handling them. I mean, obviously moving them or checking them out once in a while and make sure everything's all right or whatever. But, you know, um, I've not ever had an issue with them and they're not really, uh, you know, like a super aggressive animal, but again, you know, it's a lot in how you, uh, how you raise them and your caging. I mean, you know, I could have a Nile that's, or, you know, water for that matter, you know, mm-hmm. captive raised puppy dog tame, as they call it, you know, six foot water monitor. And if I put him in, you know, a four foot cage and he's got nowhere to hide and he's, you know, basically a foot off of the ground and I'm staring at him all day for a while <laughs> when I go in there, you know, that, you know, attitude is going to change and it's going to be, you know, hell on wheels. I mean, you know, um, yeah, like said he had enough of you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they're they're tame in regards that I, you know, like when I feed them, I have an orange Home Depot bucket, and okay, yeah, you know, when I come into the room and they know they're going to be fed, you know, it's lights on and they're very intuitive to it, and they're very, you know, they're pacing, you know, they know they're going to get fed, and you know, at that point, you know, I feed them with hemostats and that's being fed out of a bucket. So they know that, you know, this is their feeding time. Otherwise mm-hmm. when I go in the cage and I'm doing whatever I need to do, if I don't have that bucket, you know, they really don't have an interest. I mean, they'll kind of punk flick you and check you out and see what you're doing. But, you know, they're really, uh, you know, not like charging at you and like, Oh my God, <laughs> what do you got? Or what are you doing in here? I mean, right. Um, a lot of that is just, you know, like I said, they, they they get in the patterns and they, you know, they get used to routines. And, you know, when you start going out of the norms of the routines, that's where, they, you know, you can't have a problem or turn on you or whatever. I mean, mm. you know, like I said, mine, I really don't, I don't handle them a lot. I don't really, uh, you know, 
interact with them that way. But when I do and when I have before, I've never never had an issue. They're actually very kind of laid back and yeah. relatively easy going. Even with, um, like, snake guys who have no idea what they're doing with lizards, they totally tolerated <laughs> my ass. It was great. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's perfect. But, I mean, my again, my, my one friend, Dave uh, Kirshner, he, you know, interacts with his uh, mm. pair a lot. And his big male, Alex, is, uh, you know, he's got him trained where, you know, when he want to come out of the cage, he'll lift his arm up and Dave could – you know, just basically put his hand in there and the lizard climbs up on his, you know, on his arm and he takes him out and he lets him walk around and, you know, and he's just insane. in tune with him. Yeah, it's crazy, but, you know, and it's also, it's something, it, it shows, I guess, the other half of, you know, these animals, they're not, you know, it's not something for everybody in regard of, you know, hey, I see that and, I, you know, that's what I got to do is make them dog tame and this and that. I mean, he's personifying just how intelligent they are and you know people might take it the wrong way and be like oh that's how you make them really tame and i need to do that but <laughs> you're walking a leash that was... yeah no 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 yeah no <laughs> oh, <exactly. dear> god. <laughs> and, and, yeah and god what a nightmare but no he's just more or less just really you know it's a great example of just showing how how smart these you know these lizards are in general they're very intelligent um, but as far as comparison, um, you know, it, it's, I don't know, all the lace I've dealt with and worked with now have been really mellow and really easy going. Um, I've had waters that are nightmares. I've had waters that are really hmm. easy. Um, right. same with the Niles and same with the Crocs, you know, I've had Crocs that were, you know, just, you know, you get near them and they want to rip your face <laughs> off and then, <laughs> You know, other ones that are, you know, easy going and fairly easy to work with. I mean, so um, kind of a hard, you know, I don't know, I guess to pinpoint it either way. It's just, you know, comes down to the individual animal, too. And, uh, again, a lot of it is, is how you house them and how you have them caged and, you know, your interactions with them the whole nine yards. Awesome. Cool. So <clears throat> maybe we can talk about a little about you, you hit on it a little bit about feeding, but uh, you know, do you seasonally feed these guys? What are you feeding them? And is there a difference in the type of food that you offer babies as opposed to adults? Uh, yeah, they are question one there. They're seasonally fed. I do cool off all of them, even my uh, hatchlings. Um, basically, you know, the cool is, cooler months you know and being in north america so i usually start cooling them in october and i probably warm them back up in usually february is when i plan to do it just because you know being in illinois the weather out here is just too crazy and usually february is pretty brutal so i usually warm them up you know in february because it's you know it's usually pretty cold and you know i like to uh keep them warm just to be on a safe side. And then at that point, it's like, well, you know, they've been cooling off long enough, but um, basically they are fed a steady diet of mice and quail and the occasional rat. Um, you know, the mice that I use are nothing, you know, they're just regular old adult 
you know, young adult mice. Um, the quail mm-hmm. I get are um, usually a couple days old sometimes, or sometimes they're, you know, a day old. Um, okay. And then occasionally I'll give them rats, and the rats I'll give them are small rats. But um, the females, you know, I kind of power feed them. Um, it's basically because they're, they start cycling usually right after I warm them up. And, you know, I just kind of get them going to, you know, recoup what they lost energy-wise over the cool-off, but then just to get them kind of in pre-breeding condition. Uh, the male, he basically, um, you know, once I warm him up, you know, he's getting fed maybe three times a week. And, you know, he doesn't get, you know, like a big rat or two or three. He gets like you know, maybe three quail and sometimes I'll give them like three or four mice and, you know, that's it. And they're just, you know, regular running the mill mice too. It's nothing like jumbos or anything. Um, so I keep him lean because lace, like a lot of monitors in general, especially males, um, they do have a tendency to, to become obese and, um, you know, you got to watch it because it, you know, even with the, the room that he has in this cage now, um, he can get fat. So, you know, I right. try to keep, keep that in mind and keep, you know, be very mindful of it. I usually, you know, take good notes on everything. I know when everyone's last meal was, what they had, how much of it, the whole nine yards. Um, the hatchlings usually are about that first week is when they'll start taking food and, um, I usually just get them right on rodents right off the bat. Um, you know, pinky mice usually gets them going. Um, right. Thankfully, they grow really quick. So, um, actually, those hatchlings you've seen, Owen, now are both eating adult quail. So, that didn't take long. Or not adult quail. Holy crap. Yeah. They were like the size um, of, they were like fitting my hand, little guys, when I was out there. That's nuts. Wow. Yeah, so Jeez. they're eating quail now. Quail chicks, not bigger quail. Um, but uh, they don't take long. I usually, you know, like I said, I'll start with pinkies. I know there's, you know, um, I guess the nutritional value of pinkies and the conversation and the arguments behind it. But, you know, I've raised quite a few of them, you know, hatchlings on, you know, live pinkies that I've produced right here. And, you know, they grow on it, and then within a short amount of time, and I mean, like, within a couple of weeks, you know, they're already moving on to, you know, hoppers. And, you know, it's like another couple of weeks of hoppers, and they've moved on to small adults. So um, it's never been never been an issue. Um, and they, you know, like I said, they grow. They grow pretty fast, and, you know, they're uh, – Appetite doesn't diminish, and they just eat, eat, eat as you know, as hatchlings. And I feed them pretty heavy, as you know, as babies. I try to feed them, you know, within that first couple of months. I try to feed them almost every day, and then uh, you know, once they get a little bit of size on them, and they start moving up in prey items. I'll cut it back to like every other day, and then okay. um, you know, like the 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 yearlings that I have here, um, they're basically because they're. You know, they're not in breeding condition, even though the male tried like crazy the day before. 
Um, I keep them relatively lean too, so they're getting fed like every three days as well, every two, two three days. Um, and everything I feed to is it's, there's whole whole food. Um, I don't give them any, you know, like the turkey diet or you know, hey, I'll grab some organs and you know, put them together right. with hamburger meat. You know, they get all <laughs> whole prey food items, and that is it. Um, right. And then, you know, I have. You think them that's on, better for them overall, like for yeah. health wise? Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, you yeah. know, if they're like any monitor in the wild, they will scavenge. They will, you know, take full advantage. I mean, when I was in Australia, there was uh, it was actually at Noosa Park there in Queensland. Um, you know, it was a picnic area, and you know, as soon as they warmed up. They came out in numbers because people are at the picnic tables eating and you know throwing scraps and all that. So <laughs> they're pretty much eating anything that people that's are like throwing the, at them. That's like the picture Scott put up in the chat. That's all. Awesome. Yeah, it's like just one like eating off a picnic table or something like that. That was nuts. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah they're they're. I mean, I was at this. Uh, it was called Gwendolyn Dams, and it was in New South Wales. Okay. The guy ran. His name was Brian Dare, and. I remember I went out there and he's like, you know, why the hell do you want to come here and look at these damn things? So I'm like, because they're awesome, you know. And, um, and it was it was a fishing place, and he uh, he more or less told me he's like, yeah, they, he's like they, you know, they come from everywhere when, uh, yeah, when a fisherman come in at the end of the day. They know it's a free meal and they come <laughs> running because they're, you know, they're cleaning their fish and they're just, you know, he's like, look, there's lace all over the, the cleaning station. there, just waiting for scraps. So, you know, and, um, so That's yeah, nuts. they will, they will utilize, you know, anything that they can get in their mouth for, uh, you know, substance and <laughs> for energy. But, um, in the wild, you know, like I said, I know people sometimes that they'll do it for treats or, you know, um, I, maybe, uh, hey, the, you know, my supplier ran out of whatever, and, you know, I don't have anything to give them, and, you know, I'll use it in a bind, which, you know, I don't think there's any problem with that, but um, I just personally prefer that if you keep them, you know, on what they should be eating. I mean, you know, and that's another aspect of it, too. I mean, it, you know, I, I don't know if the contents and, minerals and bite everything that's in a quail from here mm-hmm. is any different from you know a chicken in a chicken coop and you know you know new south wales and it just raised. right so um they do get eggs i will give them eggs every once in a while um thankfully my neighbor has chickens and i get <laughs> farm fresh eggs from them all the time and they definitely enjoy them um but yeah for the most part i don't really give them anything that's you know not Okay, so, so avoid yeah. beef hot dogs. When I give to monitors, <laughs> I shouldn't. Yeah, I shouldn't exactly. do that. <clears throat> yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, beef yeah. hot dog, and you know, and for a while there, people were on like this, the Missouri crock uh, pellet kick. Like, oh, oh yeah, it's thing in the world, and everyone's gonna try it. Um, you know, and I just I've seen the negative impact of it because people are lazy and they're like, well, got a whole bag of pellets, you know, and I don't really feel like going to the pet store now or, 
putting it in order, and you know, I'll feed them. And you know, my one big male that Owen did not see because he had passed away like two weeks before. Mm-hmm. Um, he was fed that pretty heavy, and it definitely had an impact on his health. And Jeez. you know, he was uh, surprisingly very heavy and overweight, and it was quite a struggle to get him lose some weight. I mean, it's mm-hmm. ironic that when they, they cool off for the winter, they don't lose a pound. You know, if anything, they shed. Right. Which is, you know, unique. Um, yeah, they'll shed in little patches <laughs> and all that, but yeah, they don't really lose any uh, any weight when they cool down. Now, do they stop eating so, altogether when they cool down, or do they... Um, well, it, it's kind of you're forcing them into it. I mean, I'll do a mm-hmm. gradual two weeks before, you know, to cool them off, and then a gradual two week to warm them back up. And okay, um, yeah, they'll basically because I'll cut their basking lights, um, and then you know it just becomes like a light cycle for them, which again is basically uh, duplicating you know, what they're getting in the wild because, you know, during the, you know, July, August, June months out there where it's cold, you know, they're, they're definitely somewhat mobile. They're moving around, but they're not really, you know, actively hunting because it's, you know, it's raining, it's overcast, the sun is out, but then it's going to be cool. So they'll come out, they'll suck up some heat as much as they can. And then, you know, go back into their roost, which, you know, whether it be a tree hollow that, you know, is up above ground or, you know, big stump they found that's rotted out or whatever. And, you know, they just kind of preserve as much energy as they can. So just because of the the coolness of that, you know, they're not going to actively forage or try to hunt for anything because it's going to be too hard to digest. And these guys, I think even if I didn't, um, I think they just naturally would just shut down, you know. Yeah, that's and, what I was. Yeah, so they turn. Yeah, I off. mean, it, yeah. it's yeah, it's like yeah. any temperate species. I mean, it's kind of sure, you know, hardwired into them that you know it's going to happen eventually. I mean, you know, they'll eventually take a break. You know, mm-hmm. right. Well, that's cool. All right. Um, let's talk maybe a little bit about caging, um, you know, babies to adults, um, and maybe some of the things you have to think about uh, to take into consideration to keep these guys. Uh, let's see. Buy some power tools. Learn how to use power tools. <laughs> Don't kill yourself with said power tools. Yeah. yeah. Don't kill yourself Don't lose with a finger. <laughs> And buy a pickup truck. Mm. Um, literally, I, I, I know that it's kind of <laughs> out there, kind of fun. But literally, if, you know, monitors are, you know, going to be a part of your life. Definitely buy power tools, learn how to use them, buy a pickup. Because, you know, there's nothing more annoying than, hey, man, can I use your truck this weekend? I got to build a paint. I mean. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I ask Andrew sure. for his all the time. So I know that's exactly. feeling all too well. well. <laughs> but that's the thing is that, it, you know, because my, all right. So after they come out of the incubator, which usually mm-hmm. I leave them in there for, you know, two or three days, four days max. Um, they're like first cage, 
startup cage is, you know, two foot by two foot by four foot. So, you know, it's not huge, but it's not small. I mean, you could probably go with like a two foot cube cage, you know, mm-hmm. but the only thing is within a couple, you know, within a month or two, they're going to be like, all right, well, they're already moving around and it's, they could use a little more room. I mean, obviously you don't want to give them a big, you know, giant cage because you'll never see them. Um, right. But that's usually what I start with. And also, you know, I have, you know, usually groups that are going to be in that cage. So you have more than enough rooms that are not on top of one another. And, you know, they, uh, they have just an endless amount of hides. There's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the cork tubes are basically planted, you know, and wedged into everything. So there's always, you know, a cork tube within some distance of where they're going to be out and where they're hiding. They also have, you know, like real big branches in there. And I got like, uh, I'm looking at it right now, probably six, seven fake plants in there. So, um, you know, there's a lot of areas for them to to feel real secure. And, Mm -hmm. you know, like I said, that's like their raise up cage. And then, you know, basically depending on, you know, if you had like six of them in there, you know, within like four or five months, you're going to have to, you know, they've outgrown it and they're going to be on top of each other and you got to move them and you got to go on to a next phase of the cages. Um, at that point, I mean, it really, there's no limit to it. I mean, you know, when like my young adult pairs, you know, or young pairs over here, the last year's hatchlings, they're mm-hmm. probably, you know, that male's probably three foot and the females are like right around two and a half. Um, you know, my big adult cages are four by four by four by eight. And, you know, they'll use every inch of it. And, you know, I've had them in there before and they just, you know, they're, <laughs> it's more than enough room for them, but they need more, right. they need more, need more. So, yeah, unfortunately, you know, with this species, you know, height is definitely something that, you know, has to be uh, taken into consideration. Um, you know, like the hatchling cages, I usually keep them up high as well, which I think really reduces a lot of stress because you're not looking down on them. You're not hovering above the cages. I try to make that a point with a lot of people that are new to monitors or, you know, hey, I just bought this cool hatchling. It's like, put them in a high cage, you know, and have it <laughs> elevated. So, you know, they're looking down at you as opposed to you looking up at, you know, or vice versa. Um, so, you know, like I said, the hatchling cages, they're they're good for, you know, maybe five months max, depending on how many you got. And then from there, you know, I had moved them into like a four by four by two. And that lasted for uh, probably another two months before they were all over each other. And then, you know, <laughs> put them in another one. And now all these cages are going to be demoed once the barn is complete. And basically my adults, uh, depending if I split them up or not, um, I was originally going to do like a 30 by 20 by 12 Jesus. for the trio. <laughs> But I might cut that back to where the females are going to be like in their own like 10 by 10 by 12. And then the male give him like a nice 20 by 20 or 20 by 10 by 12. So, um, 
But for one animal, I mean, you know, if you're limited to space, you know, you could probably get away with, you know, an eight foot by eight foot by four foot. Okay. You know, but then at that point too, you know, you got to definitely, um, it's a room. Yeah. So, yeah, but you got to keep that in mind and, and, you know, make sure that you're keeping them fit and you're, you know, not overfeeding them and, you know, because it's, you know, as big as that is, it's still, you know, I just uh, the way to measure it is, you know, I, I remember that real big base that I had that you didn't see. Yeah. Or, or when just, uh, you know, I had him in a 30 by 30 foot pen in the barn. And I'm like, yeah, this is huge, you know, but it was yeah. only, you know, it didn't have any real big height to it other than like some big branches that I had in the middle of it. But mm-hmm. I remember I had him, you know, I was, I had him out in my yard and I was letting him kind of walk around and, you know, he took like six steps and I'm like, you know, he just walked 30 feet and he's not even, you know, at like a, 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 you know, he's barely walking and he already, you know, imaginary, like hit the end of the cage already. So yeah, I mean that the limitations with him is endless. I mean, you, you cannot, especially with adults, you can't give them a cage big enough because they will find, and use every inch of it, you know. Um, I mean, they're they're very active, and you know they don't really, you know, sit in one area for so long. I mean, they're constantly up and down and back and forth, and you know they'll bask and then they go cruising, and then they sit over here, and then they start digging around <laughs> here, and they go back <laughs> here, and they're bad. I mean, it's just you know, it's endless. Uh- so. How deep how deep substrate do you keep them in, or do you kind of not go? I know I know Andrew likes to give deep substrate for his black throats, but I think they like to dig a lot more. I don't know. Yeah, uh, the lace not that deep at all. Um, okay, you know maybe six inches, and you know they don't really they don't dig. They like to climb. <laughs> okay, yeah, um, all right. You know certain species are you know. I, since for years I did that with all kinds of all kinds of monitors that I've had, and you know it was kind of drilled into everybody's mind. Oh, you got to have you know eight feet of substrate, and you know it's got to be this, it's got to be that. And it's like, well, all right, you know, let's do it. And then I don't know certain species. It's like you don't really need it. They're not really diggers. You know, mm. they're more you know semi arboreal than anything, and um, you know. They don't really, because I've had it before. I mean, actually, I've had, you know, a couple feet of substrate for uh, Nile monitors before, and, you know, they dig a little divot here and there, and it's like, well, man, you guys should be digging tunnels and doing that. And they're like, screw it, we want water. They're like, you know. Right. Hanging out in the water all the time. So um, I'm actually, I'm using these, uh, it's like the crushed coconut, like the fibers. Okay. That's basically the substrate I'm using. And I use it for the hatchlings. I use it for the adults. Um, and I also, you know, I did mulch, never liked it. Mm. Um, I might do like a loamy, sandy soil, you know, mix uh, with like the peat when I do these bigger enclosures, but not everywhere. Um, there'll probably be, you know, certain patches of it because it's going to be be a lot of concrete in there, a lot of big pieces of timber, a lot of rock ledges. Um, so the ground will be kind of a, 
an open, you know, platform, but, um, you know, I'll probably go with a, a mix like that in there, you know, when I get around to doing those bigger enclosures. But, okay. um, you know, the, the other key thing, too, that I have in there is, you know, other heat lights are, I use, you know, um, like the indoor floods, they're 45, mm-hmm. sometimes 50-watt bulbs. Um, and I have them in, you know, these, I guess they call them race lights. They're like the bathroom lights where it's like, you know, a single row of bulbs that are, mm-hmm. you know, uniformly spaced the whole nine yards. And, you know, um, with the adults, they're probably 14 inches from the bottom of the bulb to where the actual bathroom spot is. And, you know, I could get them up to like 120, 125 Whoa. degrees. Wow. And, wow. <laughs> yeah. You know, Jesus. even uh, the hatchlings, you know, they had the same same light structure, and they probably get up to about 115, buck 10, right around there. And basically, you know, the whole purpose of that is because, you know, if you have, like, one or two balls in there, and mm-hmm. that's it, you know, they'll burn. And it's, you know, it's a mistake that a lot of people have made over the years, and, you know, I still see it sometimes where, you know, there's, you know, big cage or whatever. And they got like one big bulb that's like on, you know, the plug that it's wired to and like a big dome at the end of it. And it's like, well, you know, for a small species, that's great. You know, like an ackee or something that, you know, is body mass is smaller than a whole outer, you know, surface of that, you know, basking area, but for a bigger lizard, they, you know, they got to uniformly warm up. And if they don't, you know, like I said, that's where they'll, they get burnt because they'll just sit in one spot and they'll try to, you know, get everything uniform and, you know, their tolerance for pain is apparently, you know, a lot more remarkable and we give them credit for because, (laughs) you know, you'll see them cook and they'll just, they'll have burns all over, which is, Supposedly really painful for them in the after effect of it, but um, you know, like I said, if you you take a temp gun and you you shoot like the head and shoulders area where it's been cooking, and you're like, you know, mm. Jesus, he's like 130 degrees here, and then you know, towards the back end, he's you know 85, and it's like no wonder he's basking for an hour, and you know, it just oh okay, you know, bad husband. So, yeah, it's bad lighting. So putting them all in a row the entire animal is able to get into a really big hot spot and warm up all at once and then do his thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. So it, it reduces, you know, the risk of them getting burnt. And more importantly, they're, you know, he's warming up the way he should or his whole body is basically, you know, warming up at the same time. So, you know, and that's why they're not constantly basking or, you know, they'll bask, and then they're moving around, and then they go back to basking. Um, you know, like, temperature-wise, right now, you know, their nighttime temps are probably, like, mid-70s, 77, maybe the highest, and then, you know, that's at night, and then during the day, you know, the, their basking temps are, you know, like I said, um, you know, 120s, whatever. And then, mm-hmm. like, the ambient air temperature inside of the enclosures are, yeah, like, <clears throat> low 80s, 
Okay. So it's not real super hot and it's not super cold. I mean, it's it's comfortable. It's, you know. And then obviously, you know, when it gets warmer in the summer, you know, those temperatures are going to rise up just like any, you know, just like the temperate range out there. It's slowly <laughs> right, right. warmer and warmer and warmer. So, um, yeah, but, you know, come June, July, um, and then, like, going in August, yeah, you know, my ambient temperatures will get up to, like, the 90s because it's just, you know, can't Hot. do anything about it. Yeah, Hot. right. And, you know, I'll reduce their uh, their basking light. They'll cut them off. And then um, they definitely uh, like to soak. You know, I, I give them tubs, you know, big pools of water. Mm-hmm. They'll cool off with that. But, um, you know, for the most part, you know, they're just uh, able to regulate and kind of, you know, avoid overheating because that's, you know, another thing you could do to them too, especially, again, if you got too small of an enclosure, it's kind of easy for them to overheat. If they got nowhere to get away, they got, you know, right, like no substrate to get underneath. I mean, despite how, you know, shallow mine is, it's still that little barrier still cooler on the very bottom of the enclosure than it is on a surface. Right. So, mm-hmm. hmm. so it's kind of like set them up and then let them do their own thing. If they're cold, they'll go here. If they're warm, they'll go there. If they want to go swim, they'll go do that. But you need to have a big enough cage to do, to offer all these things for them. Exactly. Uh, yeah. All right. That's cool. Yeah. And you know, another big thing too is, you know, the furniture, um, these guys need big, big logs. <laughs> and, you know, like, even my hashling, even like the, the, the ornates and even yeah. baby lace, I mean, some of those branches in there are, you know, probably the width of my cap. I mean, they're, they're big. Jesus. And some of the wood that I have that's, you know, set up for, uh, you know, for the barn, when I'm getting ready to do that is, you know, what are, you know, some of them are, you know, probably the size of a Home Depot, you know, Home Depot bucket in diameter. Jeez. So, and they're big, you know, so. Brian, are you just outside, like, cutting down trees for (laughs) your lizards, or is this, like, you're finding this stuff? That's where the pickup truck comes uh, in. That's where the pickup truck comes in. Yeah, well, <laughs> I like you know, that tree, and he just goes and cuts it down. Yeah. <laughs> ironically, the other day on the way home, um, <laughs> I'm cutting through the woods, you know, through the, the back road to get home. And, uh, yeah, there was these two big pieces that were probably six, seven feet long, and they were hollowed out. Oh. And I'm like, Jackpot and like, dragged into my pickup and got them in there and got them home and they're you know sitting in the barn and I've been thinking about them every day now like all right how am I going to put them in this cage and how am I going to set it up but they're perfect I mean they're just they're nice and long and yeah they're bigger than me in diameter they're huge <laughs> so but yeah I uh, man some of the best driftwood I've ever got yeah is going through the woods you know, and finding big pieces. Um, when I moved to my house, uh, a la Mr. T, I cut down probably 12 trees that were on their way out. 
<laughs> and, you know, after quartering them, I'm like, look at I'm like, this is a great branch for this. This is a great branch for that. <laughs> so, so it never ends. You're always on the lookout for that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Cool. But, yeah, big <clears throat> so branches. Also... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, just something to keep in mind, especially in it, again, doesn't matter what species it is. They just... Hatchling monitors to adults, they love big branches. Unless, you know, you got like Tristus that like snags and, you know, some of the smaller pygmy monitors, you know, like smaller smaller fingers and extensions of, you know, branches and all that, but they still like the big stuff too, so. Right. They wouldn't limit it. So it looks like, uh, you know, you talk about, being able to uh, use some power tools and stuff, but like Owen has some pictures of, I guess like it's almost like like uh, concrete on foam. Can maybe you talk about yep. like uh, that whole setup? Yeah, that was uh, actually. Eh, where do I start with that? <laughs> that came <laughs> originally was for my graze monitor, and I ended up moving him into another cage and. Mm-hmm. That was for the Bolans. Oh. And, you know, <laughs> the Bolans. Now you're talking my language. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd actually, I mean, every constrictor I've had, you know, from the Bolans to the green trees and, um, you know, like red tails and stuff like that, I, I've always set them up like lizards. So they've never had, <laughs> like, you know, a shelf unit or, you know, like the, the, I don't know, the slide boxes or whatever that everyone likes. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they've always been set up like, you know, like, all right, oh, it's just kind of like a monitor, so that's how I'm going to set it up. So the Bolins were basically in enclosures, kind of like my tree monitor, my baby uh, monitors are in now, two by four by two. And I had a whole bunch of plants in there, and I had uh, – um, Basically, you know, like big rock flats all over. And the one thing I learned with Bolins that was kind of interesting is it was kind of hard to get them to drink from a bowl of water. And I ended up buying these little fountains mm. that, you know, <laughs> just constantly circulated the water and they like immediately went to it. Huh. And that's you nuts. Know, I know I've had that problem before, with like tree monitors kind of hard to get them to drink out of a bowl of water. Lace, they'll drink out of the bowls of water. True monitors really weren't fans of it, and I had that same setup before, and I used it with the tree monitors in the future, and it worked like a charm. Moving water, they took right to it. So, anyway, um, so the Bolins were set up in those little cages with all that stuff, and then as they started getting bigger, I made two you know, individual cages, one for the male, one for the female. Um, they were like six foot tall by like, I think two foot by four foot. And same thing. I had real big, thick branches in there and I had, uh, you know, a bunch of fake plants and like little hide boxes and all that. Um, so then when I started to construct that big cage, um, you know, I started talking with Ari more 
because Ari, I think, is maybe his second trip out there or whatever, and I'm like, you know, hey, I want to kind of do, a, you know, something different. And mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, what's her habitat like? And he's like, dude, it sucks. It's like just a big rock ledge of plants. I'm like, <laughs> all right, you know, I'll go that route. And he keeps going so, back. So it's, like, <laughs> it's hell on earth, but I keep going yeah. back. All right, well. Exactly. <laughs> so basically um, – I kind of, you know, took some pictures and took some ideas from, you know, what he was like, yeah, it's like this, it's like that. And I started building basically, you know, these ledges from foam because I'm like, all right, I don't need like massive support because, you know, these snakes are going to be, you know, granted they're going to be heavier than a monitor, but, you know, they don't have four legs that are trying to, you know, support all that body weight at once and prying and climbing around and digging. So the foam, it was a cooler approach as far as it's, you know, it's lighter material and, you know, the concrete pretty much stuck to it like glue. So, you know, and it also helped insulate different levels of that cage because that cage was eight foot tall by what was it? That very top layer was eight by two by two. And then the bottom was like another six by four by I think six. Mm-hmm. So um, when I did those ledges, I basically, you know, I silicone them in place. And then in certain areas, I like resupported it with, uh, you know, just like two by fours and drill, you know, screws, you know, drywall mm-hmm. screws. And I bought, it's, uh, it's called Mason mix. And basically, the tuck pointers use it. It's uh, it's just it's Portland with like sand. There's no big rock like CA six or grade eight or any of the stone. It's a normal concrete, so it's a nice easy medium to you know work with because you don't have to you know worry about the big rock in there because you're not putting on a real big thick layer. And then I use the uh, the acrylic fortifier. Fortifier. It's um, it's basically it's uh, like an additive to help keep it you know waterproof it's not a complete mm-hmm. waterproofer and all that but it helps you know keep up you know as much moisture as possible and it gives it a nice even gray color to it so i just started you know piecing it out in my mind and how i had drawn it and how i wrote it down i'm like all right i know i want this this is that so i just started cutting the foam and putting it in place and then mixing up that batch of concrete and just taking a trowel and throwing it on there by hand and making my little ledges as I went. So little trial and error. Um, the future cages I'll be making, um, I'm going to go with, I'm not going to use the foam. I'm going to use uh, basically cement board, which is, mm-hmm. you know, you get anywhere. Um, but it's a lot easier because if you frame you know, whatever your structure that you have in mind, whether it can be ledges, multiple ledges or whatever, you know, you could do it real symmetrical and kind of nice, even cuts and then use a cement board and, you know, basically, you know, frame it out, cover it with the cement board, grab the mason mix, put it down and, you know, you'll have your rock ledge or whatever. Or if you want to be a little more artistic, you know, you could still... (laughs) go that route and framing it, but then you could use like chicken wire and newspaper and kind of, you know, give it some support and then mm-hmm. just bend that chicken wire the way you want and then throw the mason mix on there. And, you know, there's kind of 
no limit to what you want to do. And, you know, it's the end result is, you know, it's, it, it looks, it's real appealing to the eye and mm-hmm. it's nice too when, you know, they, they take a big dump in the middle of it. You could hose it down and scrub it and you're not going <laughs> to, you know, ruin anything. Right. So, it's, it's, but the it's one, awesome. you know, and it, unfortunately, I think Andrew's seen it, but right. I had one, I, I just got the Mertens monitors and I built that cage for them. Uh-huh. And it was wall to wall rock. That's all it was in there was concrete, and there's a big thing, a, a you know, big pool in there for the water. And I just I loved it because it had a nice big cool ledge to it, and you know, mm-hmm. it just was perfect. And you know, I ended up moving, and I bought the house that I'm in now, and I had to freaking demo that thing by <laughs> hand with a sledgehammer. <laughs> Oh. Because it was too heavy, I couldn't move it. It probably weighed eight, nine hundred pounds, and it, it was, you know, it was eight feet long. I couldn't get it out of my stairs. So <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> yeah, that was a heartbreaker. Yeah, and and it's funny because uh, you, you mentioned the Mertens that are with Andrew, and I see them all the time, and they mm-hmm. hang out on these ledges that Andrew has in their cages. They just sprawl out on these ledges. They lay on them, and I'm like that. So yeah, they probably would have loved that ledge. So yeah, it sucks. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, it was a bad day. <laughs> <laughs> but um, and and it's awesome just thinking about this stuff. And I and I definitely want to talk about those rock things because um, we try we try to give like input from breeders that are maybe not working with species that we're working with that can be used. Because I know that rough scale pythons love out rock crop outcroppings and stuff like that and this is like a way to build that and i'm like holy crap so yeah i'm excited and if i ever get owen pelly python they can go in those too so there you um, go yeah and if i get my bowlings again they're there you go (laughs) (laughs) but um, actually you know i did want to you know dwell into that eric um you know yeah I, i had the bowlings and I was talking with no one about this, you know, a couple <laughs> weeks ago. And, yeah. you know, within that cage, it was, again, because of the height, you know, I had like 110, I think, at the top is how hot it got. Maybe 100 was like the low, and maybe 110 was the top. But, you know, I had to like the heat lights kind of spaced out a little bit. And there was like one row of basking. And right. those lights were on the on top of the cage, so they weren't inside, they were outside of it. So they just, mm-hmm. you know, it had like a little screen on it. But um, the very bottom, because it was in my basement, the floor of the cage was on the floor of the actual basement on the concrete. So the bottom of that cage was like 60 degrees constantly. And it was always right. steaming down there, and it had a lot of substrate and all that, and they would just, they're back and forth all day, up and down, you know, from one height to the next. They were constantly, you know, thermoregulating, just moving all over that closure. And, you know, because as you went up in levels and then through them different rock structures and little ledges, like I said, because they're a foam, they would be somewhat insulated and there'd be little, you know, micro habitats. In them. So, right. you know, they utilized every bit of it. And actually, I think that, I know both of the snakes are in Ari's first book, and oh. I want to think the the cage 
before I redid the whole top of it, I think the old top is actually in his in that book. They're like basking huh. on a ledge. Yeah, I'm no way. <laughs> yeah, I have that book. <laughs> yes. So you I have a pair, and I cannot find it. <laughs> yeah, had, yeah, yeah, the male and female. Okay. Yeah, I had now, the first first ones when L. Bell Daigle bred them, or not L. Jeez, Danny Gunalin. When Danny bred them in 2004 or whatever, okay. those were there's actually those are the ones that I bought, and those actual babies are in Ari's book. So yeah, they're in there like two or three times. So you raised your bullins up from Neos, like little little guys. Oh yeah, yeah, they were. Oh wow, bright red when I got them. Yeah. That's now, did you see and, any action with those guys? Did you try to breed them or? That male was, once they hit like the four or five year mark, I think, um, mm-hmm. yeah, he was electric. He was nonstop. He would spur and spur and spur and spur, and she just had nothing to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> the one thing that I, I finally, it like hit me like a ton of bricks after listening to everyone at Ari's podcast with you guys and all his trips there and talking with him over the years and all that is mm-hmm. um, the time that I had the the Bolins or Bol and I um, I had trios mm-hmm. not even trios I had a small group of tree monitors I had black trees blue trees and the Cordensis monitors which are like the green trees and just they have the net pattern instead of the, the chevrons and um they were breeding, and I was getting eggs from them. And mm-hmm. I had noticed that when it was really crappy out here, you know, November, December, January, all that barometric pressure that would come in from all these storm fronts, everything would lose it. All because they're all tropical. They're all basically mm-hmm. from New Guinea, Arian Jaya, Aru, the whole nine yards. So all that fluctuation and all those fronts drove them in, in the breeding and that picture that I sent you Owen, I think is that that female Bolins was in that one. I made like a nest box. Yeah. It was yeah, like I, I, right in the middle of that enclosure. And it was, I had a bunch of plants that were surrounded it and she kept hiding in there. And basically um, she would kind of like nest in there. And after mm-hmm. a while, she, you know, she tore apart, like, I don't know, three or four ferns that were around it, some other kind of plant that I bought. And, you know, so there was, like, all these dead plants and all that. But she was always, that was her thing. And the closest I got to it was one of those storms when the tree monitors were going crazy. And she was tucked in there. She would not come out of that box eat or anything and I remember I finally got out of there and it was like the only time I got mid-body swelling from her and it was really noticeable and I got a picture of it um oh and if you look through that photo button you could see it where I got her you know I'm like holding her in my hand you you know it's kind of hard to tell from that photo but but you can you you got scale separation like it's 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 pretty big you know it's a big and it was a the closest I got, and nothing happened. You know, because mm. I, I, again, I was like, 
all right, what am I missing here? What's not clicking because there's something going on Mm -hmm. and it just, you know, nothing ever happened with it. And, um, you know, I was like, well, there's a correlation. There's something going on here because the tree monitors are going at it and, you know, and now she's swelling up, but you know, it's not going any farther. So, mm-hmm. um, that was probably the closest I got. And, um, you know, and years went on and I ended up getting rid of them. And unfortunately when I did, I couldn't give them away. Everybody and their mother wanted them, but you know, yeah. nobody <laughs> wanted to buy them. Right. But, you know, it kills wow. me because you know, it's, but fortunate because they're they're actually they're awesome species and you know it, it's kind of I mean I guess it's you know the, the same thing with the lace I mean lace everybody wants them and I understand why and they're really you know they're they're an awesome species and they're definitely like cream of the crop as far as the monitors go but you know there's just not enough people out there that want them to want them you know mm-hmm. it's kind of like all right well. Do you want them because they're lace <laughs> and they're cool, or do you want them because you think you're going to become a millionaire overnight by breeding there you them go. because, you know, everyone's going to be banging on the door to buy a lace from you, which is not the case. And, you know, I mean, I have probably three times the amount of money invested in my bell from just feeding them and changing his cages in the last three years. Yeah. You know, so... <laughs> Not a... <laughs> it's 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 one of those things where a lot of people don't understand that and you know that's where they get into problems it's but you should definitely avoid the guy who's like i want to take the lace and breed it to a blue tail to make like this monitor <laughs> and it's like no oh, like, avoid that guy so but yeah going... unfortunately that's going on right now there's some guy supposedly trying to breed a bells to a black dragon yeah, we got those pictures earlier this week uh, on the, some of the chats. I was gonna, I was gonna spare you that, but you know that apparently. No, I heard it. all about it. And yeah, it's just you know, hey, hey, more power to those are his animals. Do whatever. I, I don't have a problem with it. It's just my only problem with it is that you know, it's kind of like it's like that guy that you were talking about that you know. Does a kid's show with no like, with the bowlings? You know, and you're, you're yeah. doing it, a show and tell with a bowlings. It's like you know, yeah. really. I mean, you know, it's like the the, the respect for the animals. It's like who cares? You know, I'll make some weird monster hybrid. It's like you know, it's like gee, it, it's just it's a. Personally, I feel like it's in the butt to a lot of people out there that you know would kill to have a bell, let alone a lace. I mean, right. Yeah. You know, and it's like, well, you got it. And now you're, you know, you're not happy with just keeping it as a pet or, Hey, you know, this is, you know, it's just, it's irritating in the regard that, you know, when I came up in this hobby, there was no internet, there was no, mm-hmm. no Facebook, no, this, no, you know, forums. No, I mean, everything that I, learned and everything that I, you know, over time got a better understanding of. I did by calling people on the phone, writing letters and reading books, which nobody wants to do anymore (laughs) and trying to learn as much as I can about it. And then 
you know, it, it just it bugs me that the respect is not there for the animal, and that's the biggest thing. It's like I remember, you know, having a you know like a a blow up argument on some forum over you know a price of a Nile monitor or something, and it was hmm. like. Well, you know, I'm like, you know, if you think about it, way back in the day, you know, you didn't have the option of 15 guys selling one online. You know, you had, <laughs> you had one, one guy. person who was <laughs> yeah. kind enough to return your phone call and be like, yeah, you know what, this is how much it is. If you don't want it, I got 10 other people will take it. No, I want it, I'll take it. And you were, you know, that much more appreciative because you're like, you know, it's amazing. I live in this state, in this country, and this animal is – 8,000 miles away, and it's being mm. shipped to my house. And mm-hmm. it's from Africa, and it's going to be in my front room tomorrow. And, you know, it's like it, there's no longer any, like, you know, R, like, respect. Or it's like, eh, it's another, eh, if I don't like it, I'll just flip it. I'll sell it. I'll do whatever. I mean, yeah. Yeah, and it's unfortunate that, you know, it happens with. You know, with monitors in particular, I mean, they're really, they're, they're an animal that, you know, is mainstream in the hobby and kind of got its ebb and flows with it. And then it just, you know, there's little peaks of them and then they disappear. But, you know, there's just, there's not enough of them being kept born and bred mm-hmm. with the extent, you know, with the exception of like the water monitors and like the, uh, you know, like the Ackies and, you know, like the, Argus monitors, stuff like that, but some of the less common, quote unquote, rare, or whatever. I mean, it, there's not enough of it, and it's like, well, you know, why would you want to, I don't know, just kind of flood the market or make a dent into the market with, you know, a hybrid? I mean, it's just, I don't know. Not my thing. Like you said, I got you. A guy can do whatever he wants. It's more power to him, but it just, you know, it's like, I don't know, maybe just uh, appreciate what you got. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we do want to hit on um, lace monitor breeding. Um, can you kind of walk us sure. through your season? Like, when do you when do you start cooling down? When do you do the introductions and uh, all that fun stuff? Uh, well, for starters, obviously you need a male and a female and yeah, that's, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> good job. Um, yeah. Unfortunately I went through that record because when I got my bell originally, yeah, I was, you know, I wanted to be a female so bad that nothing was going to change my mind. And, you know, lo and behold, it ended up being a male and, you know, that was a lost cause, even though I had, you know, been told by countless other people, like, yeah, dude, it's probably male. I'm like, no, nah, it's female. You know, it's female. <laughs> so, um, yeah, they're usually um, monitors in general, especially like the larger monitors. Two years is usually if you get them from a hatchling. The reason I'm up, it takes them about two years to hit maturity. Um, I do know of people have done water monitors in less time than that. I know, like, Ooh. some of the Ackies in, like, six months, they're breeding. So, but as a rule, two years is usually how you want to go. Um, but, all right, let's take it from that. So, you raised up your two. You got a male. You got a female. Um, 
to initiate the breeding, um, I will cycle them as far as I, I'll go through a cool period. Like, um, here, let's use these for an example because I know I got a male and I got two females and these are young animals. So right. this year, you know, they'll be fed normally and, you know, they'll be basically growing and, you know, getting older by the day. And I know come October, I'm going to be cooling them. So mm-hmm. um, they'll be in separate cages by that point. So basically the cooling process, um, I'll kind of start reducing the day, day cycle and the light cycle. So, you know, usually I have them on, like in the summer, it's like 1410. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, spring, like 10, 12, 12, 12. And then, you know, it progresses as the summer goes on and then, for the fall, you know, you start cutting it back. So basically when I'm starting to get ready to cool them down for the year, you know, I'll start reducing my light cycle by about two hours. So, okay. Let's say we're at the end of fall and, you know, starting to get dark earlier. So basically the lighting is, you know, instead of going from, you know, your 1410, I'll cut it down to, you know, like 1212. And then give that about, a week and then start cutting it down a little more, start cutting it down a little more. And basically when I hit that two week mark, like in like the middle of October is usually when I'm pretty much getting ready to shut them down completely. So basically September is when I'm starting to manipulate the lights a little bit. And like I said, okay. it's like a two hour difference, you know, over the course of a couple of weeks where, you know, I'm finally getting into like that first week of October and then, you know, I'm starting to reduce their basking lights. Um, I'm starting to cut way down on their feet. So, you know, they're basically going from like a couple times a week to where they're getting fed maybe twice a week and then maybe once a week. And then those last two weeks, they're not getting fed at all. The light cycle is being reduced to where, you know, the lights are maybe on 10 hours and then the basking lights, you know, like four to six hours. And I usually do that for like that first week and then going in the second week, you know, the, uh, the food is completely done. They're not being fed anything. So you want to make sure that they're completely cleared of any food. Exactly. And then the, uh, the heat lights are cut down a little bit more, maybe like four hours. And I'll usually do it, you know, try to set it up. So it's like, 10 in the morning and then by like two or sometimes 11 and like by three or four, they're off the day, you know, like the regular, you know, ambient light is still on, but then, you know, it's only going to be on for, you know, eight, nine hours. And then basically towards that going into that first day of the third week of October, the heat lights are off completely mm-hmm. and all they're getting is just an ambient light cycle. And usually, again, this is how they, you know, uh, with pattern and them getting used to the way everything is. By that first delayed feeding where they start getting reduced in being fed, they pick up on it. And, right. you know, they just, they know what's coming. So they just naturally start to, you know, kind of works out the word. They're like, yeah, all right, we know what's coming. And, 
you know, they're a lot less active and basically, you know, they're not, uh, not like throwing you off. Like, you know, there's like, you know, just a complete, you know, screw up. And it's like, Oh my God, you know, something's <laughs> wrong because they're acting different. It's like, you know, right. they, they kind of, they, they know what's coming. And, but then, so basically, um, while all that's going on, I'm also starting to drop the the nighttime temperature too. So okay. um, generally, you know, when it starts to get a little cooler out here, I'll start to warm up the air. So it's kind of like, you know, air temperature inside of their enclosure. So maybe, you know, like mid, mid eighties. And then at night, let it get down. Usually I don't even, you know, I'm not running it. Um, I'll let it kind of cool down gradually the way it normally is going to do outside. Mm-hmm. So, but when I finally, like I said, I get to that gradual end and where it's finally, that's it. There's no more basking lights. There's no more feeding, you know, it's just the ambient lights. Um, I usually drop the nighttime temperature and which also translates to the day temperature, mid seventies. That's it. Okay. So October, November, December, January, February, you know, that's it. They're not, they're not getting any hot. You know, temperature is pretty much consistent. They don't really do anything. Um, I give them water, which they'll kind of drink here and there while they're cooling. But mm-hmm. they just, they look miserable. They just kind of, <laughs> you know, they're not they happy. come out yeah. and lay around. And, you know, the male is a lot more, um, he doesn't hide. He just kind of like, eh, I'm out. Who cares? So he'll yeah. kind of lay on his main big ledge he's got. The female, she's a little more, you know, she'll kind of walk around a little bit here and there, and then she's got like a, a hide underneath one of her ledges, and she'll basically come out for a little bit and then just goes right back in the hide, and she's done. So <laughs> fast forward to spring, which is where we're at now, um, it's just it's the reverse. It's the reverse warm-up, you know. Okay. So little by little, I start increasing the temperature, you know, I start putting the basking lights on a little bit. I start getting them a little, you know, you don't want to go, you know, 100% and be like, all right, here's some heat. Here's a bunch of food. <laughs> you know, you're ready to go. So you got to do the it switch, gradually yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and full disclosure here, this, everything that I'm basically, that I've done and mm-hmm. I've been successful with, this is all from Dave Kirshner. This That guy has like, you know, held my hand with all this because he's bred laced so many freaking times and you know that guy is so dialed in with him that you know he just there's like nothing i can't throw at him be like hmm i don't know you know he's like oh this that so you know he's really been just a huge help in it because you know this is his recipe this is how he's done it over the years and continuously done it and you know i'm proof that hey it works you listen to what the guy says it's 100 percent um so, and a lot of it too is, you know, I kind of, I did my homework with the species before, you know, and, and it's taken me my whole life to get these. I mean, you know, I'm 47 now and, you know, what put the lace bug in me was, I think I was like nine or 10 Jeez. and I was looking through an encyclopedia and there was a black and white picture of a big lace, like on a rock ledge. And I'm like, I got to have that. That thing is awesome. This is the be all end all is for me. 
And Jesus. I pursued it ever since. I mean, I went to Europe for him, and then the following year I went to Australia to learn more about him. I mean, you know, this has been like a lifelong, you know, pursuit. So, um, yeah, I don't even know why the hell I went to that track or how I got off track. <laughs> <laughs> that happens a lot here. Um, yeah. But, you know. So, so, all right. So, I warm him back up. Yeah. And basically... Um, the feeding with the male kind of goes right into routine where, you know, I'm not overfeeding them. He's like just getting sustained meals, which, you know, are keeping him going and keeping him kind of hungry, which is kind of what you want. And then uh, the females are basically, you know, they're starting to start a cycle. So I will start to gradually increase their diet, increase their diet, increase it. And then basically usually within like a month of them warming up, they've gone through vital Genesis, they've ovulated and they're breeding. And, um, it's based, it's not, you know, like, you know, well, this factor and this, fa- I mean, it's pretty much that simplistic where it's like, all right, you cool them off, you warm them back up. Now they're fully charged or fully warmed up. And you start power feeding her, you know, if you want to say that, or just, you know, you're basically, you're prepping her for breeding because it takes a lot out of them. So, you know, I feed them, feed them, feed them, feed them. And then they just, they shut down. They stop feeding. And I know that they've completely cycled and I will take the female and I will place her with the male. And the reason why I do that is because the female's cage has multiple you know, there's one, two, three, four little ledges in there, and there's a lot of branches and all that. So, you know, it, it's perfect for her because it's, you know, the branches are not as wide as some diameters, and, you know, she's got her little hide and all that. So, you know, it's easier for her to kind of, you know, find her own little resting place and, you know, to get away from everything. The male, you know, he's got one, two, three big you know, ledges and one big main ledge, but the whole bottom of that enclosure is open. So when I put the female in with him, you know, they got that whole bottom area to basically breed, and that's usually where they breed at. They usually start down there is where they'll copulate and all that. And then um, usually, you know, after an hour of copulation, they kind of go up by the basking lights and they'll bask together and then, it commences again, and they'll breed for, oh, about a week. Sometimes 10 days, I'll leave them together. Um, but usually that first four or five or six days is, you know, it, they're continuously copulating. Um, the first couple of days are obviously the heaviest. And I remember, geez, the first time they were here breeding, Ari's in town. I just picked them up, and we're going to Tinley, and – you know, I'm like, all right, are you ready? He's like, yeah, man, we got to meet Russ. And he's got a bunch of books and my skulls and all that crap to display. And I'm like, all right, let's go. And I come out in the garage and the bell and the female are locked up. And I'm like, dude, we're not going anywhere. I'm like, they're breathing. He's like, oh, shit. He's like, well, we got to meet Russ. I'm like, I don't care. Who cares about Russ? I'm like, dude, they're breathing. I don't want to go anywhere. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> he's like, no, no, we got to go. I'm like. No, we're I'm not like, doing anything. Dude, Russ. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm like, are you kidding me? We gotta. He's like, I'm like, just take my truck. I'll hitchhike. I'll find one. Oh, you know. So, yeah, I was kind of like, really? 
You know, That's Sarah awesome. Bolins would be saying. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah, but um, so basically, that's you know, that's a routine with just getting them to cycle and then to breed. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually, you could tell, you know, lately it's like a week and they're done. He's like, all right, I've had enough, and you could tell that <laughs> because she's like on one side of the cage, he's on the other, and yeah, you know, and then when they do like interact kind of like, you know, he's like climbing on top of her, not for, you know, hey, this is a good position. It's kind of like, well, I'll just use you for furniture because I want to get to the spot near my way. Move, right. Okay. So then, yeah. <laughs> then I place her back in her enclosure and, you know, let her kind of get in the groove of things. She'll start basking. Um I offer her food usually like the day or two after she usually will eat. Um, and from there on out, you know, and this is another reason why to have, you know, supply of food on hand at all times, because, you know, they're sporadic with their feeding after they, you know, copulated. So she might eat like two or three days in a row and then that's it. She doesn't want anything. And, you know, she'll start test digging, digging and, basking a lot and sleeping a lot you know that's kind of what they'll they start doing and then um usually i am right at like with the first clutch of the year right at that 30 day mark which means that you know it's 30 days since the last observed mating or copulation or breeding whatever so they're pretty much right on dot now as soon as she's done laying which is a whole another spiel we got to get in there in a couple minutes. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so when she's done, um, sometimes it'll take her a day or two to recover. Sometimes she'll yeah. recover right up the bat. You know, she'll be wanting to eat that day. Um, again, you know, you got to just kind of keep an eye on her and watch, you know, her behavior and, you know, and offer. And if she takes it, feed her as much as she'll take. And then basically, Give her, you know, as much uh, much nutrition as she'll take. I usually give them a supplement before. I'll give them, like, 500 milligrams of calcium with vitamin D. Um, uh, probably a couple times before I actually intro them. And then as soon as they're she's done laying, the first anything she takes, whether it's a chick, quail, or a mouse, or small rat, I'll, uh, you know, thump it, slice it open, put that calcium in there and make sure that she gets it right off the bat. And then after, you know, doing that after a couple of weeks, boom, they go right into it again. Jesus. Vital Genesis, she'll start to ovulate, she'll start to cycle and they're ready. And I'll do the same thing. I'll pull the female, put her in back with the male. They'll breed, and then the magic of it is the second time around, they're usually done breeding within, like, three or four days. Mm -hmm. And put her back in there, same thing. She'll bask. I'll try to feed her whatever. Any day that she wants to eat, she'll go off feed. And then usually within 15 to 20 days, the next clutch is laid. They're that Wow. And then it just starts all over again. So... Last year, I got six clutches out of one female. Six, wait, six clutches out of one girl? 
Yep. Holy, Holy crap. Shit. <laughs> yeah. How, like, are we talking the same number of eggs each time, or are we like varying no. by like maybe one or two? No, we're varying by a lot, and okay. not everyone. I had two of those clutches going basically down the tubes right off the bat. Um, okay. First clutch was nine eggs, and the clutch after that, I think, was five, and then I had four, I think another four, and then three. Jeez. Uh, I got them in my notes here, and then the other female, I got three clutches out of her, which is about normal, which is kind of what you want. You know, Nine. six was not really expected. And, yeah. you know, it was, uh, again, it, it's, it's taxing on them. I mean, she's mm. obviously, she's fine and she's probably cycling right now. So, um, you know, again, it helped having, having a steady flow of food into it, you know, and having it available and letting her recoup and all it. But yeah, they're kind of, you know, once they start going, they get going. And I don't recommend it. I'll, I'll never try for six again. And it was kind of not accidental, but kind of accidental where it was like, all right, well, she's off and I don't want to, you know, it's kind of like, I don't want to waste her. Mm-hmm. She's putting the time into it. I don't want it to go to waste. And in the same regard, it's like, well, I don't want her to, you know, breed herself out of existence and put herself in the right way. But it's like, you know, six to one, half dozen or the other. I mean, it's kind of, like you don't want to stop them but you kind of want to stop them you don't want to have you know any complications or you know anything go wrong but you know it's like well maybe you should have kept breeding breeding them then because now you know you didn't and she's got an egg stuck and it's turning septic and now you're screwed i mean you know so um yeah that was uh a hell of a year for yeah. But unfortunately, like I said, there's two clutches were crap right off the bat. Okay. You know, within like three days they churned. They're actually still in my freezer. So uh once you get the eggs, what uh what's the incubator setup? Uh I have in the past I had a cooler. Uh huh that I used, that I made with, you know, I had heat tape in there and, uh, oh, what the hell was it? Um, I think I had a Herbstat or whatever. So I had that set up. Um, but I screwed up because I didn't have enough heat tape in there. And okay. it was actually um, kind of hurt because basically the the temperature wasn't getting hot enough. It wasn't consistent. It was like, you know, the pro yeah. was reading – you know, like right at the base of the, I had them in Sims and, mm. you know, if anyone's not familiar with the Sim, the Sim is a suspended incubation method where you put the eggs over a thing of water and, you know, they're in the little container and, you know, it just basically provides a hundred percent humidity without getting the eggs wet. So I had them set up in the Sims and, you know, um, my temperature wasn't getting hot enough at the top of the consume. So basically at the level where the probe was and where the eggs or the bottom of the sim was, it was like 84, 85, but then they go any higher than I, you know, supposed to have the very top of the incubator. I was probably like 81, 82. So, you know, that was, 
costly error on my side because I screwed up. You know, I didn't have enough yeah. in there. And, you know, I got temperature gauges everywhere. And, you know, I'm like, all right, I think I'm fine. And they're not working right. And I'm like, all right, something's, something's not right. Um, I mean, it, I got hatchlings out of it, but just not as many as I wanted. And I have quite a lot right. of infertile eggs, too, which is another downfall with lace is that, you know, because of how long they take to incubate, You'd be cooking, sitting on an egg for three months, and you're like, it's like right as rain. There's nothing wrong with it. And one day you come in, and it's discolored, and then it's shrinking, and you're like, what the hell? And then you cut it open, and there's nothing in it. It's just completely oh. just a mass of yellow jelly. And you're like, it was never even fertile. But it, you know, cooked for three months. So, Is that um, how long the incubation is for these guys, three months, or are we talking longer? No. <laughs> oh, yeah, shit. I wish it was. <laughs> All right. All right. Um, so, my mean average for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten clutches. Mm-hmm. Um, two hundred twenty-six days to two hundred thirty-seven days. My longest was this year was uh, two hundred forty-three days, and this is basically at like eighty-five to eighty-six degrees. So, it, Jesus Christ! So, yeah, like, I don't want to hear you Python guys. Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> I get mad at sixty days, and like you know, <laughs> you know what? It, like, it just goes to show all those people who are like impatient and cut eggs at like day fifty-eight. You have to mm-hmm. wait like eight months. It's like that's it's ridiculous. Well, yeah. This last one, that two hundred forty-three days, yeah. was basically. It was like nine months on a calendar year, just not nine months completely in days. It was that long. Oh. So. <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap. Um, well, yeah. all right then. <laughs> and it's one of those where, you, you know, it just, it, you got to forget them. And it's hard because I keep my incubator right next to my bed, which my wife loves. But, you know. <laughs> and. You know, every day I, I got to peek in there and take a look and all that. But, um, yeah, it's just, you know, it's a long, long time. And it it kills me is that I, I've read, mm. you know, again, on forums in the past where people are like, oh, dude, I I had lace breeded, you know, or hatch in 90 days. And I'm like, you know, what planet are you on? And where do you come from? To where... <laughs> You know, you're going to tell me that, that, you know, everything that basically has been in their DNA for the last nine billion years, you cornered in your basement out here in 90 days. <laughs> Dude, you're awesome. <laughs> they had you do this. Tell us how. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just, you, could, you know, it's, again, you could kind of tell where people are like, Dude, you you know. Look, I'm not calling you a liar, but it just really doesn't make any sense, you know. Right. I mean, it's – and that's that's about average. I mean, Dave, I think his last batch went 258 days. Jesus. Yeah. So. Wow. They take a that long time. That is long. Oh, it's funny because mm-hmm. if I incubate uh, Andrew's stuff um, in my incubator, my carpet pythons are in and out before his are even like halfway done. So it's like, uh-huh. yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and, but and this is, just, 
more or less why they're, you know, they're, uh, all they bury in the wild is in termite mounds. Okay. Just That's it. Leave them there. Because, well, for how long they take to incubate. Um, mm-hmm. And the fact of the matter is, too, because it, you know, they can't overwinter. So basically, you know, lacer breeding like midsummer and eggs are hatching, you know, like late spring the following year. And right. Because of how long they're incubating, they just, they can't, you know, they, there's nothing in the wild that they could dig them in that's going to survive the winter that's going to give them a constant temperature like that. Right. It's the only so, trustworthy you know, thing. Anywhere you find females, there's termite mounds. And termite right. mounds, I've seen them out there, are just, they're enormous. You know, and I've seen one that was, uh, it was cleared by, uh, you know, it was a removal, you know, like land clearing removal or something. A guy with a scraper, you know, piled one, hit it. And um, one of the people I was out there hanging out with, um, mm-hmm. he took me to it to see it. And it was really cool because you got to see like, you know, an area of a termite mound that, you know, you could see in photos or whatever, but seeing in person was pretty cool because it's, it's amazing just all the different layers of like vegetation that's in there and then what the final result is and all that. And you could see, you know, why they nest in it. And then the material that I use for substrate for nesting is like, you know, identical to it in a lot of ways. Okay. I mean, the, the way it looks. Well, how do you nest the girls? Because I know you sent me uh, in, like a little phone video earlier this week about one of your girls digging in a box. Uh, yeah. How do you set them up with that? All right. Um, basically, and this is probably the most crucial thing to breeding with, mm-hmm. you know, with Varanids and probably we with like the Bolins, like we were talking earlier, mm-hmm. is you have to have your nesting box set up months in advance before you even consider breeding. And <laughs> the, basically, especially with the lace, especially with monitors, is that um, if the female cannot find, you know, a nest box that she's comfortable with, that she's going to lay her eggs in, and it has everything that she needs, heat, humidity, security, the whole nine yards, they won't cycle. They won't go through the whole process, and you'll just keep feeding them and keep feeding them. Because they'll basically, you know, essentially look at it like, well, I got nowhere I'm going to lay my eggs because you supplied me with nothing to put them in. Mm-hmm. So, you know, not going to do it. So basically her nest box is um, like in the left corner of her cage. Um, it's actually, I took that cooler out that I was using. I use coolers, which work great. Um but in the summer, it gets a little bit warm, so I replace the coolers with, like, a, a big planter that is okay. thinner in material, so it doesn't retain a lot of the heat, but it still has the heat source to it. So, um, basically, the nest box is, like, two foot by, like, a foot by, like, 13 inches tall. And I got, a like, a cheap Zoomed heat pad that's underneath it and it's stuck to the underneath of the cage and it's on a rheostat and Mm. basically she can't, 
she can't get to the heat mat. She can't rip it up. She can't claw. She can't access it all. All she's going to get is the benefit of the heat. So the very bottom, it's probably, you know, like 89, 90 degrees. And then, you know, at the very top, it's like 77, I think. So okay. she dug a tunnel. She went in there and basically goes the whole length of the box and then turns to like a little terminal end, and that's more than likely where she's going to lay because I kind of got some of my hand in there and then like a probe to shut down, you know, shove down there to check the temperature. And um, lace, like pretty much every monitor out there, um, 85 to 84 degrees is what they're looking at for nesting. That's like okay. the temperature for them. So, um, so basically I know that that's, right where she wants to lay and that's more likely where she's going to lay and it's where she's laid all the clutches before and you know and both females it's uniform it's the same mm-hmm. you know it's the same entry hole the same little tunnel and you know they're both digging probably six seven eight inches max down and you know i'm digging up eggs right there so they don't right. really dig all the way down it's just that that temperature gradient because they have it you know there's enough height and there's different layers so they just kind of poke around and once they get to that 84 to 85 it's humid it's hot it's perfect they're ready to go but again it's getting to that point and achieving it the other thing too is packing it which is amazing every time i dig them up i'm amazed by it because you know, I literally, I got a, I might have it or not still, but I got a picture of me that I'm standing on the nest box, actually mm. inside the nest box with this piece of PVC that's perfectly square with me packing the the substrate into it because you got to pack it down that tight because it's, okay. Know, yeah. And basically, their entry hole is probably like four inches in diameter. It's like a perfect circle with a sole you know, a circular bit that they use to cut the hole. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's packed past the, the hole. So, you know, she's got to dig in the hole to start getting into the actual mess box. But it's packed so tight in there that, like, that entry hole and then her actual little, you know, nest chamber that she made, mm. um, it's perfect. It doesn't give. There's not. I mean, you know, you can put your hand in there, and everything else around it is inert. You know, it's oh molded. Jesus. Yeah. So, what's amazing though is that they, you know, they dig it all up, uh-huh. they find their spot, they lay their eggs, and then she repacks them, and <sighs> she repacks them, and it's. So hard to explain. It's almost like you got to do it to experience it because they're packed super tight and in a cluster and just like all right there. And you just take a pinky, your pinky finger, and move just like the tip of the egg, and it'll come right out. And it's like perfectly formed, and it's like a, an empty pocket. Like you just pull the egg out. Where it of just came. Socket. Oh my god. Yeah. And it, it, do, it doesn't crumble. It doesn't. It's like you know. It's just. It's amazing how they repack the eggs and how they center them and how they basically just you know do everything that you just did ten times better. Because, <laughs> you know, it's amazing. 
mom can do it so much better than you can, so there you go. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, it's uh, it's amazing. Like I said, it's something you, you, it's hard to explain. you got to experience it because it just how well they pack those eggs in there and then how loose they are to, you know, how easily they are to move and take out. That's cool. Well, uh, Brian, we're going to end up, we're going to have to, wrapping this thing up because we're going to get cut off in like five minutes from the show. Um, so we do have some closing questions for you, which are kind of like the quick little fun questions. And uh, then we can get you out of here. And because you have way too much information, we're going to have to have you come back at some point sure. to talk about more <laughs> shit. So, you yeah. know, but uh, if anything, we'll start with the closing questions. Uh, and that's if uh, Brian, if you could keep, any reptile in the world without limitations, whether it be money or legality, what would you keep and why? Any reptile? Yep. Is that what you said? Um, any any reptile. <sighs> you know, off the top of my head, you know, I love perennies and <laughs> they're but, cool. Uh, you know what? I'm happy with the lace. Okay. <laughs> You're good there. <laughs> All right. That works. Um, so now, if you could go and herp anywhere in the world, where would you want to go? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Man, he didn't hesitate with that one. Right now. Right now. <laughs> nice. Jesus. Yeah, I've been talking about wanting to do that for a while. <laughs> Well, I don't know. We we were going to talk about uh, what happened to Crutchfield's hand. Is that kind of deterred you at all, or no? Uh, no, because I <laughs> think that he made a critical error in the fact that he's probably got two males and not a pair. Um, <laughs> crocs generally are not, you know, you got a, a male and a female, and the female is definitely cycling acceptable and you get everything going then that should not be an issue so i think he had two males um <laughs> and full disclosure i do not have crocs anymore they're completely banned in illinois which is kind of a crappy deal yeah <laughs> um but i can appreciate some of the reasoning behind it um they are definitely not a species that you know everybody and her mother should have um right you know, they do command a lot of respect, but then again, so does any big monitor. I mean, you know, I think it kind of goes without saying. So, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, any monitor of substantial size could do some serious damage to you, you know, if you're not careful and you're not mindful of it and you don't respect it. So, right. you know, um, wear gloves. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Rule number one, wear gloves. Um, so, or even better, just you know, understand the animals you're working with. You yeah. I mean, all the crocs I've had over all 20-something years that I've been at it, um, I've been bit by one, and that was by the guy who owned it. It was more or less his fault. <laughs> and, uh. I, I mean, I've... Never been bit by a croc, ever. Never got close, other than that one instance. All right. Well, then yeah. then you can go and hunt for them in New Guinea. <laughs> so, um, 
Um, I'm all for it. Brian, what's the best way to follow you, get in contact with you at all? I know, uh, uh, or, or if they want to talk shop or um, inquire about a monitor or something like that. I don't have a way. I'm done cool. with Facebook. <laughs> I'm not on any form. I, I can't really, knock you I, for this. <laughs> I'm a private yeah. hobbyist, and I could care less about talking to some 18-year-old who, you know, <laughs> going to tell me how I'm doing everything wrong and what I should be doing. And, oh, by the way, can I buy one? So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. No, no, I, 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 I love that. That's fantastic. But anyways, Ryan – it has been awesome, and like I said, we're definitely have to have you come back and talk shop about some of the other stuff you got. Because I mean, poking around your photo bucket, I you you got me obsessed with blue tree monitors now, which is bad. So you know that's oh we'll do we'll do that. <laughs> so, but sure, thank and we got to for... talk about the Bolins again. Yes, yes, we yes, can do that, please. <laughs> Especially yes. when you get when you get more and you're building your setup, we're gonna want to hear all about what you're doing and what you're trying. So, oh yeah, definitely. Awesome. Cool. Definitely. Well, thanks for coming on and talking with us and uh, oh. enlightening some monitor stuff. Sure. And thanks for having me. And it was all my pleasure. And anytime, guys. All awesome. Right. Thanks, Brian. Brian. We'll, I'll, we'll catch up with you soon. All right. Have a good night, guys. You too. Very cool. That was one that I just kind of sit back and absorb, you know, well, information it, it, in that one. Well, that's the kind of stuff I like is because you can absorb the information. Also, what works for lace monitors, you know, in my head, I'm doing like, uh-huh. Well, snakes like that, too. And snakes like that, too. And snakes <laughs> do that, too. And it's like, holy right. crap. It's like, you know, and also the foam with the concrete. I'm like, I'm obsessed with that shit now. And it's it's just really cool to see kind of that stuff. And like you always talk about. You know, because I do listen when you speak every once in a while. Um, you do? Is, oh, no. I, I, I'm sorry. What was that? I wasn't yeah. listening. Yeah, um, but no, it's the, it's the, like, it's the finding what works for different species and how it can be transitioned over to what we work with personally. And that's where it's oh, really yeah. cool. So oh, yeah, totally. now we, we got 50 seconds to close the show. So go. <laughs> okay. So next week we have uh, Garrett Hartels coming back from Reach Out Reptiles. But this time we're not talking retics. We're talking about uh, running a reptile business, marketing, uh, ways and ways to make money in the reptile business. Um, it's one of those, we hit on that every once in a while, but um, it seems that uh, Garrett has some, some, some stuff that that he could possibly share. We're about to have babies hatching out and whatnot. And, you know, mm -hmm. everybody thinks like breeding snakes is, uh, you could be the best snake breeder in the world, but you may not be the best snake salesman in the world, or <laughs> you may not be the best, uh, you know, businessman period. Uh, but, um, hopefully, uh, Garrett can, uh, can share some stuff with us. He, uh, he does it full time. So uh, yeah. it should be interesting to hear his, his approach. I mean, I think about, you know, <clears throat> his YouTube videos that he's doing are, uh, are pretty awesome. Um, he goes in real, real detail about the topics that he picks. Um, his setup, you know, you saw it, you know, yeah. 
Oh yeah, no, his show shows. setup. I mean, <laughs> yeah, his his show setup is awesome. It's definitely eye catching, and he's got it to the point where you can kind of. It's almost like you want to come over and you want to hang out at his setup, which is awesome. Um, and then he told me that he didn't even have his entire setup out on display at Tinley Park, so it is definitely very That's cool. Crazy. And it's and, it, and it's something different because it's like everybody else on that row was. Walk by a set of acrylics. Walk by a set of acrylics. Holy crap! This guy's got a floating wood thing, and he's got all this other <laughs> yeah. stuff. You walk around, and you know Garrett's there, and I played stupid for a couple of minutes, just wandering around until he saw my name tag. So uh-huh. you know, yeah. I, I once again, I should have gone as Marco Shea, but whatever. I think I um, think I think the more important thing that he wants to come on the show is he probably wants to just bust your stones a bit about having a retick. <laughs> That would be so my guess, but you know, you're telling me, I, you're telling me, you're telling me, I got a seller by Tuesday. That's unfair, yeah. Eric. Yeah. So you know, I <laughs> you love do. her. Yeah. yeah, I know. That's the whole point. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, <sighs> I, I think uh, I think he can uh, he can share some of uh, some good yeah. ideas and stuff, and uh, I think that there's uh, a, that would be a cool. There's a lot of stuff that people don't think about when they think about the, getting into the reptile business, and the problem is that I fell into a lot of these pitfalls. And you're not going to make, you, you know, every baby you produce is not going to sell for the amount that the maximum of the market value of that animal. And so it, there's a lot of stuff that people don't think to account. So this would be a good show, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah. Stay tuned Crushing for that. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, and then as far as us, MoreliaPythonRadio.com, you can check out our website for all things Morelia, and uh, our email is info at MoreliaPythonRadio.com. Uh, don't forget about the Northeast Carpet Fest, June 9th uh, in Warminster, PA, the Southern Carpet Fest, May 5th and 6th in Terrell, Texas, and the Southwest Carpet Fest, April 28th and 29th in Vista, California. Uh, you can check out their Facebook pages for more details. Um, the Southwest has an auction that is live. The Southern Carpet Fest uh, is working on looking for donations for the auction. Northeast Carpet Fest, we'll wait till everybody else is out of the way. Yep, we'll, yep, yeah, yeah, <laughs> we'll yeah. We'll start our but we do have <laughs> and then shirts we'll do that. available. So please, you know, it's a limited time. It ships mm-hmm. out of the U.S. You can get it outside of the U.S., but once it's done, God help you. If you contact me after it closes, that's all I'm going to say. So, yes. yes. Uh, and then uh, <laughs> as far as myself, ebmorelia.com, uh, my email is eric at ebmorelia.com. Uh, I think uh, it looks like we're starting to finally hit spring. Uh, <laughs> this end of the week is the we temperatures in the high 60s, 70s. I don't know if it will hang on for that, but uh, if it does, I, I am going to start being making a ton of stuff available because uh, I got to move. <laughs> I got to move some snakes. <laughs> well, I was getting ready to send out a snake on Tuesday, and I look at, or I'm sorry, I was getting ready to send a snake out uh, Monday, and it like I go like I said, it's snowing. I'm like, oh well, god damn it! So it's like, yeah. no, and uh, so yeah, I have snakes leaving later on this week because it's going to be perfect, but. Yeah, dude, you got to clear out some stuff, you know. Definitely, definitely. Um, 
And, you know, I, I say this, I, I've been, it's like a broken record, man. I've been saying it for years <laughs> on the show that I'm going to clean out some, you know, uh, doubles of stuff and stuff like that. Oh, really? I, I definitely am. So, like, I think something that pops into my head, caramel head mm. granite pear, adult. No, no, yeah. no, yeah. no, I, I got no, pass. Uh, <laughs> maybe female striped bread lie. Eh, pass. Yeah. Well, you, 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 I think you got too many Brisbane coastals. To be honest with you, I think you need to get rid of two. Oh no, 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 no. No, do it, do it. I think you need. I, I, I think you need to. I'm just saying. Yeah. No. Sorry. Uh, Damn it. <laughs> try again. Uh, but, I will. Uh, you know, stuff like that uh, is what uh, I'm going to be uh, moving. I, you know, I think mm. I'm. I, I've I've been pulling away from Facebook more and more. Uh, I have it deleted out of my phone. I don't really go into any of the groups anymore. I share right. the shit on my page, and that's it. Yeah. I've been using I, Instagram a lot more. Um, I, I kind of like how Brian was like, "We're like, how do you get in touch with you? you don't? I love that. It's like okay, bye. <laughs> he's like the uh, like the Gar- Gary uh, v- v- I can never say Gary Vale 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 yeah whatever. Yeah. Uh, I love that. <laughs> of of the monitor world. It's like, yeah, if you if you get in touch with me, then you know your shit. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's like yeah. if you can find me, yes. Until then, no. So it's like, okay. Yeah. You know. So Might I have still do damn have, podcast. So. Yeah, I still do have my Facebook page, Instagram, and YouTube and uh look look at that stuff to uh my website is really going to be the main thing to where i have everything uh, right that so if you're looking for animals for me that's probably the place to go right so that's all i got cool uh what i got is you can go to rogue-reptiles.com we are up to date on all the animals that we have for sale currently but that is not a lot of animals so if you are on the fence about something definitely let me know we are Almost out of red tiger jags, caramels. We're, we're running a little pretty low. I got to restart. Don't worry. I got you covered, Owen. Thank you. <laughs> so, thank you. So, I'll stock uh, you back it, up. <laughs> until, until, until that fateful trip is taken to Eric's house that I regret for at least a year and a half. Um, right now, we're running low. So uh, you can go there. You can also go to Facebook.com. Uh, look up Rogue Reptiles there. Uh, give us a like and find and uh, keep track of all the stuff that's going on at Rogue. Uh, that's all we have for you guys tonight. We'll say thank you all for listening. We're going to catch everybody back here next week for some more Morelia Python radio. Good night.